Hey everyone, it's Left Stroud here, also known as Survivor Man. And I can survive a lot, but I want to find out on this occasion of the 100th anniversary if the book guys can survive a three hour long episode. Book Guys Show 100th episode is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys and get a free book just for signing up for a free trial. Now, I, I know that Les Stroud, Survivor Man, said it was the 100th anniversary, but we haven't been around for 100 years. Not quite yet. But this is the 100th episode of the Book Guys. My name is Paul Alves, joined by my co-hosts. Sir Jimmy, all the way in North Carolina. Yes. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to you, <laughs> sir. <laughs> as well as Professor Alan Middleton, somewhere in central Ohio in his uh, bunker. Hello. You know, these super long episodes is why they invented one and a half speed on the iPod. That's right. <laughs> so we got a bunch, bunch of guests who are so gracious, uh, re- mostly returning guests, to line up for us tonight. And... Uh, Folks, don't worry. It's not just going to be a party and a, you know, a fap fest of uh, book guys. We are still going to talk about different books that we're all reading. And uh, we're not, we're not going to tell you who's coming up until after the breaks. But uh, let's just start off by talking. How do we all meet? Like, I, I know we had some other guests, uh, other uh, co-hosts, and we have uh, clips, and uh, some of them will be joining us. But uh, Professor Allen, I, I think, if I remember correctly, you uh, were listening to the show, and you sent, it was on Twitter that we met? I th- yeah, we met via Twitter. Now, how we found each other must have been via the No Agenda chat or something there. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, that, that's how we would have been following each other on Twitter. Yeah. And one of us was talking about comic books one day. And mm. then we, we uh, now, now the, that other you have one, a... the other one paid attention yeah. and it turned into a dialogue. And I ended up guesting on, I think, episode 34. And then have been a regular since about episode 40, I think. Yeah, you're uh, hardcore. You and Jimmy have been here for, uh, I think the three of us are now, we're officially the longest running book guys anyways, as far as the Guinness Book of World Records says. I think so. Yeah, I, I remember now. We were talking back and forth on Twitter about uh, comic books, and, and I just found that you were so knowledgeable about all, all that was going on in comic book uh, world land, comic land, the comic universe. And then uh, we figured, hey, we need a we need a comic book guy. Yeah, and it turns out you're not just a comic book guy; you're you're a book guy, and you're an actual professor. Some books that I read <laughs> actually do not have drawn pictures. Right, they just have words. Right, and some of them don't don't even have robots in them. Well, yeah, I guess some <laughs> of the textbooks don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have the clip. We we, we are going to be playing it on episode ninety nine. Uh, like Douglas Adams said, we're, we're, well, listen, we're recording episode one hundred. 99 is not out yet, nor is it finished editing. But like Doug- Douglas Adams said, I love deadlines. I love the whooshing sound I hear as they go by. But we, <laughs> we will get episode 99 out before this one airs. Uh, Sir Jimmy, uh, I think, again, no agenda show. 
I think is where I heard about Free Hollow Books. Then we had yeah, some- I, I'm, I absolutely have. I've met people from all over the world thanks to uh, thanks to the internet and the No Agenda show. A lot of like-minded people, I think. Yeah. So. Now, now, Jimmy, I'm not putting you down when I say that the first time we talked to you, you had your radio voice on. <laughs> I can I can put them down for because you. If, if folks, if you listen to episode 99 and heard the first couple episodes, hey, this is Paul the Book Guy. You're listening to episode one of the book. I had my radio voice on too, and eventually, we all figured out that hey, just use your regular voice; it all comes out better in the end. Yeah, I think uh, some people like Adam Curry. They got their radio <laughs> voice, and they. They don't even remember what their original voice sounds like now. Well, I, you know, yeah, but he just has a natural radio voice, period, right? You'll never know. Uh, so he, guys, I think he walks around with a compressor. Yeah, pretty much. He has a, a compressor and a noise limiter built in. He's like a cyborg. I know that Paul and I have radio hair. That's almost the same thing. <laughs> Speaking of our first uh, promo and first break that we're going to take is Adam Curry wishing us a happy 100th and... Establishing us as something, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil it. But we're gonna play that clip, and when we come back, we have our first mystery guest of many. Hi, everybody. It's Adam Curry here from the No Agenda Show, best podcast in the universe. But I do want to wish a very happy 100th episode to the second best podcast in the universe. So, happy birthday, book guys. Book guys. We're back with our first guest of many. For the evening. Seth Harwood returns. Hello, Seth. What's up? Hello. Hey, I wish I had the Jack Palms music ready to play. This would be fun. Dun, 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 <laughs> uh, what's, what's the name of that hip-hop band that does all the stuff for you? Mad Villain. Mad Villain. They're awesome. I bought their album just because of your, your audiobooks. Yeah, my, their album Mad Villainy. That's right, Mad Villainy. That's a great album. It is, totally. I am ashamed to say that I was so dorky that I bought that after reading a review of it in The New Yorker. Oh, They're, they're so creative. They remind me of like uh, De La Soul. Yeah. Pretend or, I never said that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but they remind me of like De La Soul or uh, these other, you know, innovative hip-hop bands that are just so creative. Tribe Called Quest. Yeah, Black Tribe. Sheep. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so, so Seth, w- welcome back, sir. It's our 100th episode. We wanted to have some of our best friends back on. And, yeah, and, me and Adam Curry. Thanks for having me. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, 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 Seth, just tell us what, what's, what's happened since the last time we talked. What's new? What's new in your universe? Oh, God. I know you've expanded oh, well God. beyond Jack Palms. I think I have. Was I only doing Jack Palms? Last time we talked, I had done Young Junius, right? Yeah, you had done Young Genius, and you were working on another another book. I don't think it had come out yet. Yeah. But, but you've done quite a few things since. Yeah, so the other book I did was In Broad Daylight, and I podcasted that as well. That was a female FBI agent chasing a serial killer across Alaska. And then at, since then, I've been working on short stories, and I just published a book in the Kurt Vonnegut world, of the Amazon Kindle realm. Fantastic. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's crazy. I was wor- I'm working with Amazon for their crime imprint, Thomas and Mercer, and I went in to visit them, and someone there was like, hey, we're doing this Kurt Vonnegut thing. Would you be interested in writing one of these? And, um, yeah, I totally was. I love Vonnegut, and it was a super blast to work on that. 
Oh, fantastic. I was going to ask you, Seth, uh, you're still finding that the uh, podcasting of the books is a, is a workable uh, way to, to get the word out? I, you know, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's still up in the air. I mean, the reality is that podcasting the books is a lot of time. And sometimes I feel like that time would be better invested for me in writing new stuff. So I yeah, don't know. It, it's, I, it, it's such a new concept. I'm just you know, always curious as, as to how that's going. And I think it varies from author to author, but I'm always, always curious about that. I think it that. does. You know, I'm pretty close with Sigler, and he's like constantly cranking out new stuff. You know, here I've got a daughter that's brand new. She's a year old. I've got some classes that I'm teaching. So there's a lot of places I'm spreading my energy, and sometimes the podcasts kind of fall to the wayside. Right now, though, I'm starting to do some podcasts of short stories and bonus content from this Vonnegut piece called As Much Protein as an Egg. So, you know, I want to keep my hat in the podcasting ring, but sometimes I just don't have time to keep up with it. Now, now, Seth, as much as I want to say to you, you know, you might as well just hire someone like Jeff Gurner or Johnny Heller to, to read your books. Having experienced your audio books and your audio books, I got to say, you, you do a good read of these things. Thank you. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, it's gotten to the point where people will help out by editing my reads. And so that helps with some of the time. But right. I definitely feel like kind of across the board, I feel like when an author can read his own work, that really adds something to it. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, uh, there's nothing more annoying than listening to Stephen King read his own work. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's just squeaky. <laughs> it, 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 it gets a little nasally at points. Right. <laughs> but sometimes you get like, a po- like a, an audio book from, you know, Audible or something else like that, and they've got some actor reading it who just doesn't get the text or the cadence or any of it, and they can be nasal too. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, don't get me I, wrong. I mean, uh, listening to On Writing by Stephen King, when he's talking about his, his craft, that's, I definitely recommend On Writing. You listen to the version uh, read by Stephen King, but he, he's had people reading for him, like, you know, uh, George Goodall, you know, Frank Muller. So when you, when you compare Stephen King reading his own work to Frank Muller, you know, yeah. or, or George Goodall, it's kind of like, Steve, get off the mic. For Christ's sake, where's George Goodall? You <laughs> Let know? the professional do it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have any professionals clamoring to do my stuff. Although, you know, there's this new relationship with Audible where ACX, like you can go on there and recruit professionals to read your stuff. I think I'm starting to get some of my audio rights back to publish to Audible. But, you know, I'd like to read that myself and put it out there. It's funny that you bring up the sound quality because... um you know, my thinking is that I need to do those over again just to make sure the sound quality is top-notch for Audible. Right, right. Now, now, how, how strict is Audible as far as the sound quality? I mean, have you submitted stuff to Audible where they said it's not going to work, you have to re-record it? Or? I haven't, and I've been told by people in the podcasting community that, um, you know, my stuff is good enough. I mean, and you guys are saying that, like, my stuff where I put a sock on a snowball microphone, that that was good. Uh, but I also think, you know, a lot of the times when I've podcasted a book, it's been sort of an earlier draft. And I want to make sure that um, that I'm podcasting or creating as audiobooks the final draft of these projects. Right, right. So in that sense, like, you know, I have this perfect world idea where I just read like a chapter a day when I'm in my office. 
And through that method, I get it all done in a couple months or something. Well, well, Seth, there's no perfect world. I mean, I listen to at least two or three audible audiobooks a week, and I have caught quite a few where, uh, let's say, they either left a bad take in or they've done a retake, and you hear both versions. <laughs> you know, there, there's been wow. – yeah, there, some have slipped through the cracks, but uh, in general, I'd say their stuff is 99% of its fantastic quality. I have I've heard this. Yeah, I'd be curious to send you some files and have you tell me whether it matches their standards or something. Yeah, I got, I got to put on the good headphones though. At that point, I'll do it. I'll do it. Hey, if you want to stick around, uh, Seth, even for like five ten minutes, we got Scott Brick and Gabriel DeCure. First of all, I think one of the best, maybe if well, no, I I actually think the best audiobook narrator in the business and the best audiobook producer and director in the business are going to join us. So maybe you might want to find another five minutes for us. I can do that. <laughs> All right. So stick around. We'll be right back, folks. And we'll tell you who those people are. Hi, this is Seth Ressler, uh, founder of Mystery Meat and uh, host of the Fine Dining Podcast. And you're listening to The Book Guys. I think so. One thing that I heard when I was at AWP in Seattle last weekend was that they have this thing like WhisperSync is is switching now to the point where you can um, be listening to an Audible book in your car, and then you get inside the house, and it picks up right where your recording left off when you start reading. Have you heard that? Yes, uh, the WhisperSync is fantastic. I've heard. I haven't used it only because when I listen to an audiobook, I listen to it in audio. From start to finish? Yeah. But I can see where that would be really cool. I've heard that if you have the Audible file and you have the, um, the Kindle book, then you can switch back and forth, you know, depending on whether you're in your car or you want to read. Fantastic. And, and I think uh, Apple is working, or no, they have a similar thing, but they don't have too many titles that work with it, where it actually highlights the words as the audiobook narrator is speaking. So it goes huh. a little bit beyond the whisper sync, even though they don't have many titles that do it. But I mean, for small children who are just learning how to read, I think yeah. that's a great way for them to neuroassociate, you know, the words they're hearing with the words they're seeing on the page. Yeah, follow I know. the bouncing La- ball. Well, last night I bought Yertle the Turtle, the great Dr. Seuss book for my Kindle Fire. <laughs> and it's like you can click on the pictures and it tells you, you know, you can click on the words and it reads the words out loud. But you can right. also click on the pictures and it says like pond. Turtle. Oh, that's great. There, there, there's, some, there's a Dr. Seuss, the Cat in the Hat app. I bought it for my niece, uh, Maya, and she just loves it. And she's clicking on the words, turtle, 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 you know. <laughs> <laughs> Get the kids' headphones if they have the iPad in the car, folks. Just telling you, for a long drive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear it. I hear you. I, I do have a question for you, Seth, about this... Uh, this new one that you've done in the world of Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah, Explain totally. that, that process. Is, 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 is that an Amazon uh, concept, this world's idea? I've heard a little bit about that. Explain it from at least what, what you yeah, know so of it. Amazon, Amazon has come up with this concept called Kindle Worlds, and what they're doing with that basically is licensing different properties that they can basically have fan fiction uh, written in. So they've got like some comic books that I'm not familiar with. They've got Gossip Girl, Vampire Diaries, 
um, the Wool Saga, Wayward Pines, and some other stuff. And so they have Vonnegut, who I'm a big fan of. And so they asked me to write something in his world, meaning, you know, with some of his characters or, or references to his sort of brand of literature. And um, I did that. And I think it was, a lo- it was a lot of fun for me to write. I cranked it out really fast because I was on deadline. And um, it was just fun to sort of try someone else's world. And as not so much of a fanboy or science fiction guy, like it was really cool to do something, an author who I really buy into his stuff. I love Vonnegut's work. And, and I reread a bunch of it and then sort of just riffed off of that. And it was really fun. I got to say, I had a really good time with it. And now I'm podcasting sort of bonus content from that. I'm putting out the audio of the prologue today and then some other sort of background stories in the next couple of weeks and really trying to get my podcast listeners to go on there, buy the Kindle book. It's only two bucks and drop some really good reviews of it on there. Now, would you uh, tell the folks where they can go to find all this great stuff? Yeah, they can just go to my website, sethharwood.com. The new Kindle book is called As Much Protein as an Egg, which is like a new brand Kashi cereal reference to one of his books called uh, Breakfast of Champions. Fantastic. Have you guys read that? Not yet. No. That's, that's a classic. Writing, I'm, I'm actually yeah. writing it down right now. Breakfast of Champions is like- great. And Slaughterhouse-Five, too. This seems like a great opportunity to get your work out into someone else's fandom. I mean, it seems like it, for authors, this should be a great opportunity. Yeah, it was totally a kick. I mean, I think, you know, Vampire Diaries and stuff like that probably have a more rabid, uh, eager audience to read new stuff in that world. And so when you're reading Vonnegut, there's a lot of overlaps of characters, but you kind of wonder, like, what does his world mean? I thought it was a lot of fun to take some of his characters and put them in the book and some of his characters, and have their, um, their offspring or their children in the book. And then sort of to use some of his methods was a lot of fun. Fantastic, Seth. Thanks so much for joining us on The 100th. Thanks for having me, guys. We appreciate Keep it. Keep it up. Do your good work and stay in touch. We're going to get you back on with uh, Scott Brick and uh, Gabriel DeCure sometime because they, they got to do some of your stuff. Yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> I'll check them out. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Seth. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Peace. All right. And so, Jimmy, before we go to another break and bring another guest in, let's talk about what we're reading. Well, this is not on my Kindle or my nightstand, but it is on the dashboard of my truck. All right. (laughs) I just finished up a couple of books. One of them is The Second Machine Age, Work, Progress, and Prosperity in a Time of Brilliant Technologies by Eric Brian Jolfeson and... Andrew McAfee. Is that possibly science fiction? You know, uh, it's related. Okay. It's it, it it's about the, you know just the the marching on of technology and how many people in ancient times it took to accomplish a task and and then most of it focuses on the introduction of digital technologies and right. computers and robots and how societies change, Moore's law, and how if you're not don't have certain skill sets, how you're going to be left out, and how governments and industry and 
society and everything is changing uh, in this new machine age and looking forward to what's going to happen. It was interesting. It was it was long, but it seemed like uh, I'm not sure. Performed by Jeff Cummings. I really like this guy. He's one of my new favorite audiobook authors. No, no. In in Canada, there's a lot of talk now on the media. Uh, you know, it's starting. It's peaking now. Talk about how the robots, uh, the, the number they give is 10 years to, you know, something like 20% of all the jobs will be uh, taken by robots. And the discussion of what they call the mincom. Which- you know, exactly. The mincom, um, the or the basic minimum wage or whatever, he, th- that's the section they talk about, about how they're going to have to give people money because there's people that, what they learned how to do for a living doesn't exist anymore. And by the time they train to learn how to do a job that's current, that it's, by that time it's already changed and the, what they've learned is useless. Right. So these people, to keep them in the economy, we're just going to have to give them money that they can spend. And they can do nothing and spend that money and live at a, you know, a basic subsistence level, or they can do some kind of work and supplement that. Yeah, that's why, we, that's why we in the education biz like we like education as opposed to training. Right, training for a specific position is very limiting. Well, a lot of discussion here in Canada now is about what happens when the McDonald's is completely robotic. What happens when that you know GM plant is completely robotic? You know, other than being a you know robotics engineer, uh, what are we going to do? Well, well, you know, we can't let society collapse. So the, one of the, the solutions people posit now is the income where everyone in Canada would get, you know, 30000 a year or 40, whatever the number they come up with. And if you want to make more than that, then you, maybe you want to help build and design new robots. You know, but then what happens when, you know, artificial intelligence is designing the new robots? Yes, and that's a long way off. They, they talk about Watson and the creation of him and how, you know, IBM used to make typewriters and just the, the transformation of everything and how they're trying to turn um, computers into doctors. But that the, the people who are going to maintain a high level of income are going to be specialized people, you know, people that are the best in their field and the, the low-level people are going to be gone. They'll have machines that can, that can make rugs, but they can't have people that can make you know, fine handcrafted rugs out of alpaca and whatnot. So, right, right. interesting book. It just—it's a lot of food for thought kind of book. It's not—I guess it's not—it's um, not the most exciting book I've read in a while. But I got through it faster than a lot of other books. So, yeah. And, and, and sorry, go ahead, so, Professor. Because sometimes thought-provoking and interesting works instead of maybe exciting and fast-paced. Well, what, what about if you had both? Professor Allen? Oh, that would be okay. And, and a related book, and this is the one I just finished. In This has been a while since I did one of these. A hardcover, actual book, Influx by Daniel Suarez. Which deal- oh, don't ruin it too much. I just got my copy yesterday. I, I won't ruin it too much, but uh, it does deal with a uh, fictional government agency that finds disruptive technology that's too far ahead of its time. And tries to contain it. And our, our protagonist, he's, he's one of these guys. That, uh, again, I don't, I don't want to spoil too much, but 
he invents a technology that they find is too disruptive to our universe as it stands, and he is imprisoned. We'll leave it at that. And uh, thought-provoking, action pace. It's almost like a Tom Clancy at certain points where it's, you know, it's all about spies. and a- there's, It's action-filled. At the same time, it's very thought-provoking. It's almost allegorical where he's uh, kind of, in a way, talking about the NSA and the CIA now where they may actually be in control of the country and not the, the branches of government we think are in control of the United States? Sure. It's like if there was a Nikola Tesla that came along right now, he would be shut down a lot quicker, I think. Right. 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 Well, cool. I uh, just got a tweet uh, from Britta, who is the producer for, I believe, the Jim Richards show on AM1010, a uh, local terrestrial radio station here in Toronto. and In the morning. In the morning. Uh, and uh, she, she's going to join us another night. She doesn't have Skype quite uh, installed just yet, but she uh, seems to be a nice lady. I text them all the time, and they, they sometimes talk about my texts. Uh, great show, and a great guy, Jim Richards. Always talks well about his producer, Britta, so we'll have her on another show soon. Hmm. I also just finished reading Cold Calling Techniques That Really Work, the 7th edition by Stephen Schiffman. And that, it's one only- so- that one sounds like fiction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm in sales. I don't do cold calls. But even if you don't, this book has a lot of techniques that teach you how to overcome objections, get your get your opinion over, and allow people to say, oh, you know, I'm not interested, and say, you know what, you know, a lot of people that we work with right now, originally that was their thought. Um, they weren't interested. But what we do really complements the people you're already working with. How about we, uh, I think we really need to get together. How's Tuesday at 7? <laughs> and it's like, it's like he's working magic and teaching you how to just get people to the point where let them say no once and then it's like they're out of gas. And you can get them to say yes. It's only three little CDs. I listened to the whole thing today. And you know, I recommend it for anybody that sells anything. Uh, Jimmy, speaking of cold calls... Let's take a quick break and we'll cold call a couple more guests in. Hey now. Hi, this is Jeremy Bullock, Boba Fett from the first Star Wars trilogy. Come and read my book. Go online, jeremybullock.com, and you can see all about my book, Flying Solo. You've been listening to The Book Guys. Book Guys. And we're back, guys, and we're joined by... The one and only Craig Damlo. How's it going, buddy? Uh, good. I'm not in a blizzard like yourself. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I was telling the boys before we started, I got two feet of snow outside my door. Uh, a foot fell, but for some reason, uh, snow gets attracted to my shop. So I guess it's going to be a uh, long show then since you can't go home. Yeah, pretty much. I'm stuck <laughs> here tonight. I wish I had a sleeping bag. <laughs> How are you doing, Craig? What's new since we last talked? Ah, not much. Um, well, you've been, you've been a great guest. Status have a good night. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? I said, you've been a great guest. Thanks. Have a good night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, Craig, any, any new books on your uh, Kindle nightstand? Yeah, actually, uh, I've been reading uh, The Box, How Shipping Containers Made the World Smaller and the World Economy Bigger. 
which uh, actually is uh, a lot more interesting than it sounds. <laughs> that actually does sound fascinating. I know, I know it's stuff like the Tetra Pak and uh, the different ways that things get shipped. The world really has changed. Yeah, and actually what I found the most interesting is, you know, the shipping containers kind of interesting, but the, the better story in the book, and, and for me, the, the more interesting thing is how it shaped cities. And, uh, you know, in particular, uh, Brooklyn and Manhattan lost all their shipping. Shipping went to Newark or out here for me. Uh, you know, Portland was the big shipping city until the unions fought the shipping container craze. And so all the shipping con- containers now come through Seattle or uh, Tacoma uh, right here in the Puget Sound. So it's, it's kind of interesting how cities and economies changed, um, you know, mostly from people unwilling to accept change. Well, that's the story of business and economic progress for the last century or two. You know, areas and people who are willing to make the changes necessary for the whatever that version of the new economy is <laughs> will succeed and prosper. And those who try to live in the past get left. Yeah, don't say that too loud. Uh, Uber and uh, whatnot here in Seattle uh, are fighting that one hard. Now, Craig, I don't know. I haven't read the Same book. Idea. I haven't yeah. read the book, but uh, I don't know if it touches on it, but we're looking at a future now. I mean, within our lifetime, within maybe the next decade, where we're going to have drones delivering things. Uh, we're looking at other uh, computer systems, like what Amazon is trialing now, which is looking at what I browse online, figuring out that I want this item and shipping that item from, let's say, their San Diego warehouse to the Toronto warehouse in anticipation that I'm going to order it in order to satisfy me as a customer. They know that I'm going to order this uh, Doctor Who mug or this certain type of uh, you know breakfast drink. And then they ship it to the Toronto warehouse knowing that I'm probably going to order it. And when I do order it, I'm surprised that it arrives at my shop the next day or my home the next day. Yeah, I actually, I think, I think the more interesting is jump, you know, beyond that. And the mug won't be shipped from San Diego to Toronto. It'll simply be printed in Toronto. Uh, right. Or, you know, the next step is printed in your house. Now, now I, having seen a, a 3D printer in action, I got to tell you, we're a long way before they're going to print me a case of Diet Coke. We are a very long way. You know, when they show you, I, I, <laughs> I 3D printed this model of Doctor Who. Yeah, you 3D printed it. Then you sanded it. Then you filled it in. Then you hand painted it yourself. And even then, it's just a plastic piece of crap. You know, we're, we're far from where you can print an Oreo cookie. Paul uh, wants well. the Star Trek replicator and he wants it now. Right. Yeah, I think I think food's the further one out, but uh, I mean, airplane parts have been printed and used for a long time, and uh, in plastic, you're right, but they do metal, and uh, I've seen some wood now. Uh, you actually, they actually print it, and and the machines are getting good enough where they'll do more than one step inside, so you don't have to take it out and sand it and paint it yourself the machine will actually add and subtract material as needed right. to get that finished product. Well, I mean, I think we're, we're in the stage where it's a rudimentary technology. It's, like I said, even if you uh, do print something, 
There's not many printers that are multicolor. It's just a like a PVC. It all comes out one color with like a little piece of crap hanging off it. You do have to sand it and do some work to it. And even then, it's just a plastic thing. Yeah, but if that moves as fast in the next 15 years as a lot of other technologies have moved in the last 15 years, you could get pretty close. Well, right. Look, I mean, look at books. Perfect example, right? You went from a bunch of monks drawing dirty pictures in all the books to Gutenberg to uh, Hugh Hefner printing uh, in mass. Yeah. Well, you, you can, we, we come from a time, Craig, that where if you had 10 books in your house, you were a wealthy home. I mean, your neighbors loved you because you had 10 freaking books. Now it's like, well, I have 1,000 books on my USB uh, dongle and no one gives a crap. You know, <laughs> where as far as intellectual property, we are in the wealthiest time ever. I mean, uh, this era of uh, information technology where one family can have thousands of, you know, videos and books and access to, to, to Netflix. Uh, I'll use the Kardashians as a counterpoint to your one family as an intellectual <laughs> depth. Right. <laughs> it's not all war and peace. I, I got you. <laughs> uh, Craig, where can the folks find everything that you do? I know you have a website. Uh, yeah, you know what? One of you, the easiest one is Symec.com, uh, C-Y-M-E-K.com, and that links to everything else. Absolutely. And now, what's your time constraints tonight, Craig? Are you going to stick around with us? Oh, yeah, I can stick around. I got nothing. It's still early afternoon. It's sunny. It's clear, uh, warm, just like uh, Toronto. <laughs> All right. So, well, so hey, let's, let's tell everybody how, um, how Craig became part of the Book Guys family. Yeah, Craig, tell us the story. Yeah, you know what? Actually, it was funny you, you mentioned that because I was trying to figure out before the show is I'm, I'm at home in Seattle now. And I'm not sure I've ever done a book guy show from Seattle. Uh, I, I did one from Alabama. I did one from, I think, Buffalo and Portland. But I've never, I don't think I've ever done one from Seattle. But yeah, we do, uh, you, I, and Jimmy, and some other people randomly in there seem, we do the uh, emergency broadcast system. And yeah. that went back even. I got into that one because uh, I used to do my own podcast about physics and uh, connected to Jimmy that way, and, uh, and that's how I got on. I asked a lot of stupid questions. I remember one of them was, <laughs> why does a big black dot show up on your digital camera if you take a picture of the sun? <laughs> I had to ask a physics guy that. Good question. Yes. And that's still, I, I can still tell you that one. That one's still an overload of the chip. The, you know, the, the, the horrible, horrible analogy of a image sensor is a bunch of buckets that uh, light falls into. Well, when, when one of those buckets gets overflowed, your camera was just compensating by just making it black. And, and I revisited that same uh, technological hiccup one day when I tried to photocopy a picture on my iPad. <laughs> that doesn't work either. Are, are your old, um, are the old episodes of the Singularity podcast still available online anywhere? You know what? I don't know. I don't think so. I think I deleted all of it to make room for my incredibly sparse, uh, non uh, hard drive intensive website I have up now. Hmm. 
Hmm. That's, that's, <laughs> a, that's a loss to humanity. <laughs> Sometimes you have to make those hard choices. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I could always put them back up. I've got them all still. Um, I just worried. And, and, you know, the reason I stopped doing it, and I think the reason the book guys works, is uh, I think podcasting grew to a point where one person talking to themselves just wasn't that entertaining. It it takes more than one person to keep someone's attention. Yeah, the only person that can get away with that is Dan Carlin. Yeah, you know, and you know, as much as we uh, normally gets cut out of the show, I mean, we've left it in the show a few times. As much as we swear at Skype and uh, and Microsoft since they bought Skype, uh, it really does make the show possible. You know, as as absolutely as many problems as we do have, and you know, connection problems and whatever. Without Skype, we couldn't do this. I mean, it would cost us a fortune to get the phone system in. Oh, yeah. So we're going to add a few more callers. Actually, we're going to add one more guest right now if we can. So we're going to take a little quick break. And hopefully, Craig, you're going to stick around with us? Yeah, I'm here. Right on. So we're up to, we're up to four hosts. Let's do this. <laughs> this is the Ben Man saying happy 100 to Paul, the book guy. And episode 100 of the Book Guys Show. Book Guys. Now, I know the Den Man has a legitimate reason to have a medical marijuana license, but doesn't he always sound baked? <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. This is the Den Man. Hey, guys, we're joined by award-winning, best-selling author, Leon Dolan. How are you, love? Oh, you know what, Paul? Thank you for having me. Congratulations on 100 shows. 100 I mean, shows. a lot of commitment to podcasting. Well done. <laughs> you, know, you know what the secret was, Leon? What? When we started, I called it episode 001. Okay. So we had okay. to fill all the zeros. Yeah, that is, that is motivation. That is is this our go- are you saying this is our going away episode, Paul? Is there news you <laughs> haven't broken to us? No, you know what the news I haven't broken to you is? Next episode is not 101, it's 0101. Oh. Ah, see, I like that. <laughs> so, so you know, gonna... if you were a TV show, now you could really make the big bucks in syndication. Yeah, that that's right. Episodes. That's right. <laughs> so, so Leon, it's been a while since we've uh, chatted with you. Uh, what's new? What are you writing? What's going on? Well, um, I, I had a couple of books come out. So the last time we were talking, I was just uh, on a book tour with Elizabeth, the first wife. So I am working on a third book. It has kind of an art history mystery bent to it. So I'm doing the research for that. Um, I'm also working on a screenplay, uh, which I thought, what the heck? Um, so why, might as well give it a whirl. It's been 20 years since I've written a feature-length screenplay, so I'm going to give it another shot. And you are, um, you are out in Hollywood. I, that enough. is the law. That is at some point they take away your license here in California if you don't show them as an unproduced screenplay. So um, that is true. And then I am writing a column for Pasadena Magazine, which is actually it's a big glossy actual magazine, which is fun to be in again. Um, which has been a lot of fun. It's a humor column, but I actually just wrapped up one today, uh, an interview with producer Gail Ann Hurd of The Walking Dead, and I. It's, I think you you boys are fans of that show, correct? I think everyone is. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was really interesting to talk to her. She's a, a very polished professional producer and she owns a restaurant here in town and lives here and um, it was great to talk to her. Very inspirational. So a bunch of different things. 
And Aline, I, I have a three-quarters finished novel that a lot of it is internal thought. And a lot of the comedy was in really the thought process of the characters. And I'm yeah. finding having a big, hard, much harder time than I thought I would converting that to an audio drama script. Now, oh, are, are you... Right? Are you finding that uh, writing for screenplay is so much different from uh, what you've been doing before? It's completely different. It's 100% different. And I'm actually taking Elizabeth the First Wife, which is a novel, and, and, and creating a screenplay um, from it. So it helps a little bit that the book was written on a, like a three-act screenplay structure. So the structure is there. But you pretty much have to take out like 99.9% of the words, right, right. Paul? Right. <laughs> Aren't you finding that? Like, right. Where in a novel, you get like four pages to describe their background. In a screenplay, you literally get like one line. And so um, it's a completely different exercise in really in editing and self-restraint. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, you, like I said, if a lot of it is internalization and, and thought, how do you convert that to even a screenplay? I mean, I, th- well, I think, sorry, go ahead. You know what the mantra is? The mantra is show, don't tell. So you yes. have to think, what would that, you know, what action is that internal thought best manifested by? You know, if they're a person who has spent their whole life, I don't know, like obsessed by clocks, uh, you know, you have to figure out a way to like have, so show a scene where you can demonstrate their obsession with clocks in like a right. single one swift action. Right. <laughs> so good luck with that. I know it's really hard. It's a comp- and you know it's funny because um, I'm writing reading right now um, the novel of a friend of mine who is a screenwriter, and she has the opposite problem going to a novel, you know, she is used to writing. I mean, Ah, screenplays are very tight. If you've ever read a screenplay, it's 120 pages, literally, you know, it's one or two lines of dialogue, rarely more. Uh, A novel is the complete opposite. And she's having a hard time sort of relaxing into the prose. She's just really moving way too fast with a lot of the descriptive paragraphs. And I'm like, no, this is the point of the novel that you get to relax and have fun and make right. stuff up and fill in things. So it's really different writing. You know, uh, like, like the family guy or, or any, any kind of television show that's weekly and does like 30 episodes a year, they can knock off uh, a five, five person team can knock off next week's episode in, you know, four days, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Whereas writing a novel that would take place within, you know, an hour's time frame could take you four years. It could. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then it takes the readers like a weekend to read it. So it's just a terrible right. equation. <laughs> so, or, you know, or, or a one hour episode. When's your next one coming out? Well, I don't know. I just finished that one and it took me a year, you know, right. I had to think up a whole nother plot. But you know, that's fun. It is actually fun. And I wasn't exaggerating, folks. I mean, like the, the South Park Studios, they literally produce a show within seven days. That includes writing it, animating it, doing the voice work, and getting it out. So I, I'm not exaggerating when I say you can, you know, a team of five people can put out, you know, like you said, 100 pages, 120 pages. Right. Yeah. I mean, a half hour is only a, that's like a 38 or 39 page script. Yeah. And walking dead, most of the, you know, the one hour episode is, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, Do you want, can I quote you in my piece? Should you can, I, can, you I can I quote, quote it. <laughs> <laughs> now I think who, who has the easier time is uh, people at uh, producing movies and television shows over at Marvel. 
Because they can literally pick up a comic book, and all it is is a one-hour uh, storyboard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's your area of expertise. I'll, I'll, I'll believe you. No, not mine. That's, that's <laughs> Professor Allen. That's <laughs> Professor Allen's, yes. Yeah. I, I, I did have a question for you, Leander. Actually, this is a story you've told on uh, Satellite Sisters and or Chaos Chronicles. But the translation of Elizabeth into, I can't remember what language it was, with a yeah. very different cover. Yes. Oh, yes. So Elizabeth, the first life, wife is being published. And that's a romantic comedy. It's the story of a Shakespeare professor who uh, was once married to her college sweetheart, who's now a very famous actor. And he comes back to her and he wants her, uh, his help, her help producing an avant-garde production of A Midsummer Night's Dream at the Ashland Shakespeare Festival. So that's the plot in a nutline. And the foreign rights have been sold to Hungary. Alan. So I keep getting emails from the Hungarian translator uh, to explain a few of the lines. First of all, the title, Elizabeth, the first wife, is just being completely changed. And they're going with William, my love. So it's, and the cover is like an eye popping, like sexy, skimpy t shirt with a giant photo of William Shakespeare on uh, this woman's ample breasts is the only way to describe it. So it's like a super sexy cover of William Shakespeare. And um, so even today, I just got an email from Agnes, the translator, and she'd asked a few things like, what is helmet headed? Like she didn't understand that expression when you're describing a woman's hair. What's that? And I was like, think Margaret Thatcher. There you go. Helmet headed. And (laughs) today, today I got an email. It just made me laugh out loud. She said, Please explain this phrase in plain language. I'm sure it's very funny, but I don't quite know. And it was, he puts the booty call. No, he puts the booty in booty call. I was like, hmm. Um, I guess I would say he has a really great body and you want to have sex with him tonight. Okay, I think that's what would be the plain spoken English for that. So it's been really fun to work with but the Hungarian he, translator. But, but if if... If you could put that in a nice, clever Hungarian expression, that would be great. And she will. That's what she was. I like. I, she was saying, like, I think I get this, but what is really okay? So it's just been really funny to see the things she asked me about. So uh, it's been fun. Uh, Leon, before we continue, can you tell the folks where they can find all your wonderful work? Yes. You know, the easiest place to find everything is just my personal website, leandolan.com, L I A N. D-O-L-A-N.com or go to SatelliteSisters.com. That's mm-hmm. my main yep. podcast. And there are links to almost everything you need there. Good old fashioned SatelliteSisters.com. Okay. And we're going to take a, a quick break, folks, and we'll be back with another guest. It's going to be rapid fire tonight, folks. Hello, everybody. This is Dan Hanson, better known as Two Dogs. I am the author of Viper Pilot, and you are listening to The Book Guys. Now, uh, Greg the Book Guy, one of our original hosts, couldn't make it today, and uh, here's why. He sent us a little clip. Hi, Paul. It's Greg. Wishing you congratulations on 100 episodes. Forgive me if I uh, sound distracted. I am driving. This is hands-free, but, you know, I'm sorry that I can't be there. I'm in Jamaica with my fat... Well, not in Jamaica. I'm on the way to the airport to be to Jamaica. Love you. Bye. (laughs) 
Craig always what kind ends. What of priorities is that? He ends every call with "Love you, bye." Even when I, uh, I worked with him here at Sterling, when he when he was my boss at Sterling, uh, he'd know, even a customer call. He'd be like, "Okay, we'll have that ready for you at five o'clock. Love you, bye." Yeah. <laughs> hey, this is Jimmy. I'm telling. You, I've done the same thing. My last job, I uh, every year I would have to hire, recruit, and train. You know, up to ten people. And I'd talk to my wife, and it's always at the end, okay, love you, bye. And I said it to um, <laughs> several people a few times, and they, they laughed, but, you know. All right, no, I no. Say, I say love is what makes the world go round. Absolutely, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy, Alan, Craig, Leon, we're joined by a sixth person on the line. Our, our, you know what? I was going to say our customers. Our, our listeners are going to be thoroughly confused now, but we are joined by author Phyllis Johnson. How are you, Phyllis? I'm fine. Well, nice to talk to everybody. Nice to hear you again. I mean, uh, you were one of our first uh, guests on the Book Guys show. I think maybe episode five or six, perhaps. Right. We, we were podcasting from Nashville, the killer Nashville Suspense Writers Conference at the time. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and Phyllis Johnson is a half of the dyna- dynamic duo of uh, Johnson Nagel. We, we haven't been able to get a hold of Nancy today, but maybe we'll have her on soon. So, uh, Phyllis, uh, what's been going on since uh, you guys did Inkblot? What's new? Well, well, we've been. Um, she's been working on a five book deal with um, through an imprint and Amazon, and um, along with marketing Inkblot and being requested for sequels for that, I've written a, a monologue book called "Just Me: A Hundred Monologues for Teens." And it's being used by college and high school classrooms. And um, I've had the the pleasure of watching students perform the monologues. I even recorded seven of the students performing them and posted it at YouTube. And most of them are funny. So if you could check that out, um, you could go to YouTube and, and type in words at play and make it all one word. And you'll see the students giving the monologues. I gotta say, Phyllis, uh, since I read Inkblot, uh, I was on Facebook at one point, and you know, the little things come up and uh, through your timeline on Facebook and asking you stupid, silly questions. And I looked at the question, and I said, wait a minute, they're just trying to analyze my mind and find out if I'm gonna commit future crimes. <laughs> so you, you, you were definitely uh, looking to the future there when you were uh, writing Inkblot. Uh, well, yeah, that was based on taking an Inkblot survey test and the more, as the test went on, the I thought the images and the questions got a little stranger and more perverted. And I started thinking, <laughs> all this information I'm putting in, what if somebody used this information against you somehow? That's right. And then the more I looked at the, the, the ink blots, I could imagine them being cer- certain things. And then these different crime scenes were revolving in my head. And... I sort of laid out chapters according to each crime scene, and, and that's how the book was born, so, from actually so, taking the inkblot test. So motivation can come, and inspiration can come from the strangest places. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's great, you know, when the, the concept is born. There's nothing like the birth of the concept. When It's like a eureka moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, um, I've had a lot of teenagers and adults have read the book. I've had a lot of teenagers recently come to me and demand that we write some sequels. So we we, we do have some ideas outlined. And, you know, I I hate the term uh, young adult novel or YA fiction because 
uh, yeah, okay, it's suited for a young adult, but I've read so much young adult fiction that, uh, you know, I read and I really enjoy, and I think of it as, uh, you know, it's like eating a piece of bubble gum or having a really tasty slice of pizza. Not not every <laughs> novel you read has uh, has to be, you know, uh, something that you have to stew over for, for you know, months on end. Uh, I really enjoyed Inkblot. It was uh, a really fun read. Inkblot, the novel, I believe, dot com. I could be wrong. Phyllis, where, 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 yeah, I think I think Inkblot, any, anybody would enjoy Inkblot. Absolutely. You know, uh, just like the Harry Potter series. Yeah, I, you know what? Yes, I'm a, I, I'm a 41-year-old man, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed, uh, and I highly recommend, if you're listening on audiobook, uh, listen to the British versions with the British voices, because then it seems more magical. At, at least if you're American or Canadian, it seems more magical. And I really enjoyed Inkblot. Lots of fun. Yeah, we enjoyed writing it. Absolutely. We, we had a good time with that. We, we we emailed it back and forth to each other for a year and a half. Now, are you and Nancy going to collaborate on anything else in the future? Is that in the well, works? Since we collaborated, she's collaborated with two other writers. He's um, cheating on you? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've written with other writers, too. Like, I wrote some short comedy romantic comedy stories one time with a with a uh, guy writer in new jersey and we sent the stories back and forth we we each wrote four or five short stories and we had a lot of we had a lot of fun doing that so she wasn't the first writer i collaborated with but the first novel though well i i know i know you and nancy love going to conferences and uh, collaborating and meeting other writers and that's such a great way to just expand your you know your craft and oh Sitting oh, down with absolutely, yeah. I, um, last weekend, I was at the Christopher Newport Writers Conference on a um, panel. They invited me to be on a panel. It was um, empowering youth through literacy, and we had a good time there. They had they had um, a panel on playwriting and all kinds of novel writing workshops. It was a good time, and it was fun networking with other writers. Absolutely. Now, Leanne, do you do you work with other writers at all or attend conferences? Um, you know, I do work with other writers. When I, I sold a TV script to Nickelodeon a couple of years ago based on the Chaos Chronicles, the TV pilot, and my co-writer was an experienced TV writer who lived on the East Coast, So, and I live here in California, so we did everything sort of back and forth, scene by scene, or late nights over over the phone. She She stayed up late, and I try to go to bed early, so I've done that. And then I have started to do a lot of conferences. I'm either attending or asked to be at one. And last week I was at a writer's conference in Santa Barbara, and um, a couple of the other authors, one was Tim Conway from uh, The Carol Burnett Show. So he's 80 years old. He has a new book out. He still has brilliant split-second timing and hilarious and I was set to be interviewed, and I looked up, and who should be there to come support Tim Conway but Carol Burnett? And so I almost fell over that my comedy hero was sitting literally 10 feet away from me. I, I can't remember ever being more nervous being interviewed. I mean, you guys are tough. You know, I'm, I'm impressed being on the Book Eye Show. But uh, staring into the face of Carol Burnett, that is a lot of pressure. But it was just really a thrill. No kidding. She's the queen of comedy. Together. 
she is the queen and a huge influence on me wanting to, you know, write funny stuff and, and do funnier things. And it was really, really gave me chills to see the two of them standing there together. It was great. Fantastic. Guys, we're going to take a little quick break and we're right back. I just got, I just, I had to walk away from the microphone, a phone call from Scott Brick and he's going to join us soon. So, so guys, uh, Leon, uh, Phyllis, do either of you want to stick around or? I'm going to head out now, Paul. Okay, Professor Allen. Uh, <laughs> I have to drop off too. I'm sorry here. So, okay. Uh, but that was so fun. Thanks for including me. Always, anytime. Okay, so so we're we're going to do a quick goodbye then. I'm just uh, sorry. Okay. We are editing tonight. So, okay. uh, Phyllis, will you stick around? Perhaps. I'm still around. Okay, Craig, you're okay. Yep, I'm good. Okay, so, uh, sorry, I just want to make sure who's staying, who's not. Oh, and, I've got to go. <laughs> uh, and three, two. Now, I know, Leon and Alan, you guys got to go. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor Allen, as always. As always, congratulations. 100 episodes. I've only, you, you I've too, only sir. Been on about, I've only been on about 60 of them, so. Yeah, well, but you, the you, other 40 were probably pretty good, too. You deserve at least, at least 60% of the credit, sir. And, and Leon, thank you so much for joining us. And hopefully you'll come back again soon and talk about all your wonderful work. Really, anytime. Really my pleasure. And congratulations. I know how hard it is to, to keep pod, potting through, uh, through all the tough... Yeah, like, there, there's things. actually a, a term for that, Leon. It's called pod fade. Uh, people do five episodes. They realize they're not going to be millionaires and they give up. Right. And you we, we do know. for love first. Yeah. For love first. We, so we know it's for love and uh, we're never going to be millionaires. That's okay. Hey, before you guys go, where can we find your stuff? Yeah, Leon, give us your website address again. Uh, you can check out SatelliteSisters.com. It's the best place to find me. Fantastic. Thank you, Leon. Thank you, Thanks. Professor Allen. Craig, stick around. Phyllis, stick around. Professor Allen. Yep. Where can we find your stuff? People <laughs> might not know that you have your own podcast empire. Uh, I wouldn't call it that, but... I would. If you're interested in comic books, that is what we specialize in. My daughter and I do a whole range of podcasts over at the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Search for that in iTunes. You certainly do. Thank you. Fantastic. And Phyllis, Craig, Jimmy, constant listeners, stick around. The man that uh, you guys can debate all you want, I think, is one of the, if not the, best audiobook narrator in the business is going to join us shortly from his car because he's so committed to book guys. He was one of our first guests as well. Great guy, Scott Brick, coming up after this break. Hello, this is Brian Brushwood, host of Scam School. And I dreamed the dream of the perfect book show. And when I woke up, it was the book guys. I love you. What a- book guys. I think I accidentally cut off the end of Brian's uh, chat there. But we are joined, Phyllis, Craig, Sir Jimmy, by, again, I'm going to repeat it. I think the, one of the best audiobook narrators in the business, Mr. Scott Brick, who was kind enough to join us all the way from his car. How are you, Scott? I'm well. How are you guys doing? Very well, sir. Uh, really enjoyed your work as uh, you, you did a couple of parts in Ender's Game Alive. I did. It was a blast. Uh, oh, it was a blast to was, listen uh, to. It was nice to be involved in, a, in you know, bringing it to life in a, in a different form. It was great. Uh, absolutely. And uh, you must have, were you in live in studio with everyone else? 
I was. As a matter of fact, it was uh, it was really thrilling because uh, science fiction fan that I am, I actually got to do a couple of scenes with Harlan Ellison. Oh, nice. Which was which was a thrill. I'd known him for years. I interviewed him for a, a magazine article 15 years ago. So I'd known him a long time. But we'd never done anything like that together. And, you know, we only had a couple of lines together. But still, man, that was, I, I'm going to tell my grandkids about that. Yeah, I, I went into it not expecting uh, anything, pretty much. I, I tried not to spoil myself. And, and I heard you as uh, uh, the computer and the shuttle pilot and, and whatever else you were doing. I was like, yeah, it's Scott. There you go. <laughs> well, I almost couldn't do it because my, uh, my, my throat, my, 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 my voice, I should say, sounded so different to me. I had such a bad cold. I woke up a couple of days before then just because of dog and, and I showed up in the studio that day of course sounding very different to myself and I thought Seth and Gabrielle were just going to send me straight home but they said no you're fine and uh, you know so I was sitting there you know temperature and all that uh, hung in there I'm really glad they did it was a black yeah and, and, and you've worked with Gabrielle uh, DeCure uh, the, the producer director for quite sure. a while, have you not? Gabrielle directed the very first body of a project I ever did. It was actually it was uh, two short stories that I did. Um, she and Stefan were working at Dove Audio at the time. Uh, Stefan was there, um, was was running the audio department. You're talking about Stefan Rudnicki, of course. Stefan Rudnicki, yes, who also, you know, the, the two of them, uh, essentially, with Orson Scott Card, created this Ender's Game Alive. They, they were, little, I should say, they, they brought it to life. And uh, so, yeah, I've known them from the very beginning of my career. Stefan hired me for the job, and Gabrielle directed it. So, Scott, what, uh, last time we talked was probably, it was close to two years ago. I know you were working on a novel, and I'm fast. I was, yeah. I'm waiting for it. Well, you and my agent. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I actually I finished it a little while ago, but um, um, I needed to find a new agent. Okay. And uh, that took about six months. Um, yeah, it took a long time for agents to be, you know, to look at a at a, at a, a manuscript to somebody who isn't one of their clients. Unfortunately, uh, um, a couple of the authors that I work with had uh, passed me along to their agent, so I was um, I was in the office of some really great companies, and yeah, so I I just signed one about uh, three weeks ago. Um, I did one very quick revision and sent it off. My agent's reading it right now. Matter of fact, she emailed me a couple of days ago. Oh. Said, I can't wait to read it, and uh, who knows? My you know, if, if all goes well, we could be submitting it within the next month or two. Well, well, Scott, we would appreciate an advanced copy. A copy. We're willing to keep our mouths shut as long as you want, as long as we can. Absolutely. <laughs> as long as we no. can read or listen to it as soon as possible. You guys will get a signed copy of the print. Uh, I don't know if I can really sign the uh, the audio. Uh, that's getting harder and harder to do. With, you know, I don't know how to <laughs> sign an MP3, but uh, we'll figure something out. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, now, folks, the, the last time we talked with Scott, uh, we discussed a bit about The Devil in the White City. Great book about the World's Fair, about a, an actual serial killer. Uh, uh, kind of a true story. It is a true story. It is and, a true story, yes. And uh, a fantastic audiobook. This is going to be one of my picks for today. The Devil in the White City. 
as read by Scott Brick on audible.com. Go now, audibletrial.com slash bookguys. If you haven't tried audiobooks yet on your Android, uh, Windows phone, your PC, your Mac, your whatever you, you use, I don't even think there's a BlackBerry app, but there might be. But Devil in the White City is a great pick, as read by it Scott It really Brick. is. Eric Larson is a magnificent book. He wrote it. And uh, I saw it recently discussed. I think somebody tweeted about it recently. I'm not sure if it was you guys, but they said it was a, it was their favorite daytime listen because they couldn't. Uh, it was a bit sinister, and they couldn't bring themselves to listen to it at night. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a bit uh, spooky, creepy, and uh, especially being a real story, a true story, it's uh, it's kind of hard to yeah, digest, but. You know, the you're, first serial killer, uh, he predated uh, Jack the Ripper. He just he wasn't discovered until afterwards, yeah. so um, people didn't realize that he came first. Now, uh, Phyllis Johnson, author, is with us, and I, I was t- just telling her that you're one of the best in the business. And Phyllis, if you can't afford to hire Scott, we'll start a Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard you talking about Ender's Game. Um, that's a book where I work at a high school. Um, that's a book that the teenagers were really excited about in the book club we're studying. So my ears perked up when you mentioned that one. Absolutely. And, and Ender's Game Alive, the audio drama, uh, which I agree with Orson, who said that it's the best iteration of that story. I totally agree. And uh, oh. the wonderful voices. Jimmy, what do you think? You, you, oh, you I agree think? with you as well. If for anybody who was excited for the movie and disappointed... Ender's Game Alive is the way to experience that narrative. And I don't know, Scott, were you surprised when Ender's Game Alive actually grossed more than the Hollywood production? You know, i got to be honest. I never, I never knew. I tried to track the box office of the Hollywood production, and I couldn't find any final you know, tally for it. I might be a little facetious there, but it, it was disappointing compared to what I thought it was. Oh, going well, to be. of course, of course, and and, and I was I was disappointed for Scott. Um, but here, here's the thing: uh, uh, the game alive is essentially his baby in his hands. It's his story told the way he wanted it told, and that never happens in Hollywood because even if even if an author writes the screenplay himself or herself. It's still going to be changed by right. by the directors. You know, other people getting involved. Scott decided he wanted this to be on audio, and he rewrote the entire book. He rewrote right. it with no narrative whatsoever. Yeah. It's entirely in dialogue, and I thought this is this is unprecedented. So um, I, I wasn't surprised at how good it turned out because an author puts that much work that much work into into his baby. And, uh, you know, the, the result is bound to be fabulous. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, Scott, uh, before you joined us, uh, Phyllis and I and us, were, we were talking about uh, writing screenplays and converting novels to screenplays or audio dramas, etc. And I, I really wasn't mm-hmm. too surprised that uh, Scott Card did such a phenomenal job because he, like you said, cut his chops on uh, radio dramas. Absolutely. That's how he told me years ago when I uh, when we first got to know one another. He said, uh, "He said I never wanted to be a novelist. I wanted to be an actor and a playwright." Yeah. So uh-huh. he's, uh, he is well versed in that in that skill. Absolutely. And, and another high recommendation: it's a six uh, six and some odd hour audio drama 
uh, how, there's got to be at least 15 actors in that and playing like 30 roles. And it was just so well, uh, brilliantly uh, remixed. I mean, the mix on that is great. The, the stereo sounds, the sound effects, it was all brilliant. Yeah, they really went all out. And I was delighted to see it because uh, Ender's Game has long been one of my absolute favorite novels of all time. And it's great to see it get that treatment. Yeah, and, and there was definitely uh, some uh, acclaim is coming your way because, uh, you know, the Audis, some Audis were, came your way? Well, the, the nominations came out recently, yeah. Um, and, and Ender's Game Alive was nominated two or three times, I think, in multiple categories, which is, that's thrilling. But, I mean, I, I had so little to do with that. Uh, it's interesting. I, I've been nominated before for, for things that were multi-voice. And I never look at it as though I'm nominated. It's like I, I, there are so many other people who did the, the heavy lifting, and certainly on this one. I mean, um, but I mean, even we, we did something that was nominated for Grammy and said, hey, you're, you're nominated for Grammy. And I thought, come on, no, I'm not. But, uh, but nevertheless, it's a, it's, it really is an honor to be involved in that, in that production and with that cast. But, uh, but yeah, I was also nominated for the most recent uh, culture book. Um, um, uh, in the in the in the thriller category, which was uh, yeah, it was wonderful. Okay, Scott, I know you're on the road. We don't want to cause you to get into a crash or anything. No, yeah, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. No, it's all good. <laughs> well, we'll have all you good. back on the show soon. Uh, stay in touch. I will. It's it's really great to be back. I remember we talked about it that night that I was uh, the night that I was on. I had such a blast. So uh, it's. I'm really glad this was able to work out, and I'm, I just want to say congratulations to you guys because this is a heck of an achievement. I think uh, that is a uh, spectacular thing. So, thank you. Thank you so much, Scott. And you know what? Uh, our audio quality right now with our connection to you is not that great. So, folks are saying, why the hell would Paul Alves, the book guy, say he's the best guy in the business? With this crappy audio. He's like, no, no, no. He's not standing in front of a, you know, a Sennheiser or a Rode microphone right now. He's, he's in his car on his cell phone. Exactly. The only microphone I'm standing in front of is the <laughs> Jabra's Bluetooth piece. Yeah. So, uh, you know. so, so I'm going to play a short I'm, clip. I'm clip. quality. I'm going to play a short clip from The Devil in the White City after we uh, hang up with you, Scott. Thank you so much. Thank you, Phyllis. Thank you, Craig. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Thank you so much, Scott, for joining us. We'll see you soon with Gabrielle. And uh, cheers for joining us from your car. You're a good man. Thank you. You guys as well. Congratulations. Take care, sir. And we'll be... <clears throat> Three, two. We'll be right back with two new guests. Hey, this is Jeff Smith, the guy who does all the jingles from thejeffsmith.com, and you're listening to Paul the Book Guy. Oh, sorry, Jimmy. I'm playing all the classic jingles, and that's back when we were Paul the Book Guy before we met. Oh, uh, that, that's what drew me yeah. in from the beginning. And just a little background, folks. The, the first, you know, like 20 episodes of the Book Guy's show, it wasn't a narcissistic thing. I uh, really wanted to call it Book Guy's show, but there was a terrestrial radio sort of like an NPR thing called Book Guys. Not Book Guys show, it was called Book Guys. And we were lucky enough to have a guest on whose husband was a trademark lawyer who did a couple hours of work for us uh, gratis because he really enjoyed the episode we had. Uh, 
with his spouse, and uh, he did the research, and he eventually did give us this sort of uh, legal green light to call it what we wanted to initially. And Jeff Smith, what a class act at thejeffsmith.com, who not only recorded the Book Guys theme that we use now, he also recorded the Paul the Book Guy th- uh, theme, which he said, look, I'll do it, no extra charge, but it's quite a mouthful from going to book, uh, from Book Guys to Paul the Book Guy. And uh, I, I always get comments like, well, why would you call Paul the Book Guy when there's three or four of you? You're an well, arsehole. That's true. You know. Everybody needs to know that uh, thejeffsmith.com, it's that weird, uh, not often seen, G-E-O-F-F Smith. That's right. And he's got a wonderful piano bar uh, in Nashville. And I got to tell you, Jimmy, uh, we were just talking with Phyllis Johnson a little while ago. Uh, part, uh, she's the half of the duo of uh, Johnson Nagel, Nancy Nagel and Phyllis Johnson. When they were in Nashville, I called up Jeff on his cell phone. I said, hey, they're in Nashville. Is there any way I could possibly PayPal you some money, uh, you know, pay their way into your piano bar and just pay for their night of drinks? And he said, absolutely. And you don't have to PayPal me anything. He did get them in and he offered them and got them in and paid for their drinks all on his own. Jeff at djeffsmith.com, our jingle guy, our theme song guy, a class act just over and over. What a great guy. Yes. Brilliant human being. Brilliant. Brilliant, my friend. And joining us right now, Sir Jimmy, the one and only Tom Merritt. How you doing, Tom? I'm good, man. How are you guys? Hey, long time, no talk. We, no we, kidding. I, Congratulations on uh, hitting the big one double zero. Yeah, we got over that hump. <laughs> you fought to the pod fade. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. And uh, we have another fellow podcaster with us, the one and only Joe the Dish Slave Esposito. How are you, sir? Hey, happy 100th, fellas. That is awesome to make it to 100. That is a big milestone. Th- thank you, sir. And it was a lot of fun talking with you. And uh, you had me on the late night episode you you were a trickster because you you had me after the bar so let me tell you i have gotten great <laughs> feedback on that and people have said uh was he and i was like yes he was blasted that's that was the best <laughs> part of it that was so awesome because uh you actually apologized after we recorded i said no 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 it is so entertaining wait till you hear it and it was it came out perfectly i, I have listened to both episodes and i i'm, I'm a bit embarrassed but you know what uh, you know, they say you get a few drinks into you and the truth comes out. You know, what's funny, too, is that uh, I just did my second one because uh, for those who haven't heard it, uh, the first guest was Paul. He was number one, Canadian, number one. I had another Woo-hoo. Canadian on. And uh, in both cases, I had you on. You're the book guy. We barely talked about books after the 10 minutes. The second guy I had on is a music guy. He does a music podcast, talked about video games for almost a solid hour, 10 minutes after he was on the show. So in both fantastic. cases, I have failed at actually talking about the subjects that people came on for. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, ta- Tom, you've done some changes. I mean, uh, you, you were a twit guy. Yeah, are you still doing Buzz Out Loud, Tom? Yeah, I, uh, I secretly have been doing Buzz Out Loud this whole time. Oh, God, I need, I need that RSS feed. <laughs> it's, uh, we just delete them as soon as we're done. No, uh, so, yeah, so... Well, Tom, left- Tom, the last time we talked, uh, we were doing video, and, and I was looking at your set, and I, I kind of sort of was looking at the screen, and, and I said, Tom, wait a minute. Are you not in studio in Petaluma? And, and you had this brilliant setup at home. Where I always thought that you were there. And, you know, I have a little bit of a background in film and television. I always wondered why they never did a three-shot or a two-shot of you and the other co-hosts. And you, you admitted to me. You said, well, no, I'm not there. Uh, 
you know, I, but you, you had this brilliant studio at home that really color matched their studio. And that's when I found out that you weren't actually in studio. And uh, from what I have read on the internet, uh, Leo and, and you guys are still getting along, but he really wanted someone in studio. And we'll let you tell the whole story. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that's pretty much what there is to tell. I, I moved down to L.A. because my wife got a job at YouTube in November of 2012. So I moved down January 2013. I, I hear that's a big with the kids, the YouTube. Yeah, I don't really I don't really know much about it. It's yeah, it's, it's for the kids. <laughs> uh, no, she's having a blast there, actually. She's doing some amazing stuff. They've, they've got some really cool shows and creators on, on YouTube, I have to admit. Uh, I mean, besides I mean, it's the vast kitties and dogs on skateboards and, and everything. But, uh, you know, she works with folks like the fine brothers and Grace Helbig and annoying and orange. I don't think, I don't know if annoying orange has come through or not. Uh, but anyway, so I, I did the show for a year from my basement. Thank you for the compliments about the, uh, studio, which is really just a, a fireplace with some clever zooming and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and it did kind of match. But yeah, uh, you in know December, what, Leo about- decided that he really needed uh, somebody who would be a news director and who would be in Petaluma at least more often than me. And I couldn't move back. So they didn't renew my contract. And I've been independent since beginning of January. Now, uh, speaking of you being independent, um, I've been listening to some of your shows. And tell us about your new shows. Uh, well, the first one is Daily Tech News Show. I, I could not stop myself from continuing to do tech news. So every afternoon, I get together with uh, somebody I know in the tech space. We go through the headlines of the day, talk a little bit in depth about one or two topics that they're interested in, take some emails, and, and we're out. So kind of a, a condensed version of what I was doing before. And you're still working with Veronica? Yes, Veronica and I are still doing the Sword and Laser Book Club. Uh, going strong now. Shoot, man. I think it's six years, seven years, something like that. And uh, we just started posting season two of our video show, which season two is all about author's guides. So we've so far posted Hugh Howey, Max Gladstone, and wow. brand new author, Anne Leonard. And we've got nine more episodes to come. Well, I got to say, Leo cutting you, he's really got some big stones because it's like it's like cutting Tom Brady and just putting him on the open <laughs> market. You know he's going to land somewhere quick. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, don't be mad at Leo. I know a lot of people are. It's, it's something that he had to do, and I know he wasn't real happy about it. Uh, but it's, you know, we all went through this at Tech TV when they took a couple of shows and cut the rest of us loose. And it's the internet, man. You can you can always find somewhere to land and, and some niche to fill. And I've been really lucky in that it has worked out. I've got a uh, cord cutting show that I'm doing with Brian Brushwood called Cord Killers. And I'm doing some five app recommendation stuff for Tech Republic. And I'm continuing to do uh, uh, Sword and Laser. And I've got a new weekly show with Scott Johnson called Current Geek that just sort of wraps up geeky topics every week on Friday at the uh, Frog Pants Network. Oh, I love the Frog Pants Network. I wish yeah, I could get up early enough to, to watch the morning stream, but... Uh, we usually download it and make it afternoon stream. Uh, that's a good point. <laughs> It'd be morning for you. <laughs> Absolutely, it would. That's great, Scott. And uh, Joe the Dish Slave, why don't you tell us about uh, your podcast? Well, before I do that, Tom, this is actually kind of a cool moment for me because it's so... It, I don't know what the term is when you meet somebody through something like this, not in person, but, uh, but I've followed you through um, all the Twitch stuff and was always really impressed with it. So this is actually kind of a, a cool moment for me, I have to say, a geek moment on my end. Um, 
So very cool to talk to you or be on the same stream with you, I guess I should say. Hey, Joe, thank you. That's, it's very nice of you to say. I, uh, I have worked in a dish room before, so I feel like we have some <laughs> common ground. Oh, uh, well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, oh, boy, that's uh, that, that deserves a... There you go. First yeah, one. That, that is an offshoot of my No Agenda Night status, which I share with two of the people that are on with us right now, which would be Sir Jimmy and Sir Paul. Yeah, um, absolutely. Our show, uh, The Ozone Nightmare, is really, uh, there's not much of a, a description to it. It's a weekly conversation between myself and my best friend back on the East Coast, Lando. And it really has no defined structure. It's uh, an offshoot of just long talks that we would have on the phone, and that kind of evolved into um, an hour, two hour plus, whatever, long show that amazingly people have been listening to for a while now. And, uh, and now, uh, as Paul mentioned, I'm doing this little late night thing. is kind of an offshoot of that, um, just an extension of that. And then I have little five-minute ones that I do every day, which are daily fives, which I think is how Sir Jimmy ran across me um, That's right. originally. Yeah, that's right. So, that's, so, I mean, you're probably on like show 1000. Uh, we just did 367. We recorded yesterday, which is uh, that's, a that's pretty work. cool, man. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's weird because I hear, uh, you know, like 100 and, and uh, how when you do stuff like this, um, there's no work to it. I mean, I don't even think about the number of episodes. You know, it's every week. It's just a chance to chat with somebody that I, you know, can have a really great talk with. And I think that it's probably the same for all of us that way. It's strange how you get to, whether you're paid for it or not, this is really kind of just, uh, it's a recreation. At least it is for me. And I know you guys with the book stuff uh, is the same thing. You love books and oh, that's absolutely. why you do it. It's, it's just such a joy to be able to do it. You, you do what you love. And, and speaking of talking with people that you want to talk to, this is why I do this. And it's why I'm talking to you, Tom, and you, uh, Joe, and you, Jimmy, uh, coming up, just to let you know, in the next episode or two, we're going to have Joe Shavalo, Canadian boxer on, the only man that Muhammad Ali could not knock down. And in fact, Muhammad Ali said the toughest two fights of his life were with Joe Shavalo. We'll have him on soon. And we're going to have Sam, the freaking caveman from uh, Trailer Park Boys, is going to join us in studio. And he probably will be high. Just saying. Oh, and guys, by the way, Joe, I know that you mentioned that we're all three of us, uh, uh, Knights of No Agenda, Sir Jimmy, Sir Joe the Dish, Dish Slave, Sir Paul Alves. Uh, I know we're not live streaming tonight, but uh, you missed the top of the show. And uh, I'm sorry, Joe. I know, uh, Tom, you have some great podcasts. Uh, Joe, you've got a great podcast, but it's now official. Hi, everybody. It's Adam Curry here from the No Agenda Show. Oh, best podcast in the universe. But I do want to wish a very happy 100th episode to the second best podcast in the universe. So happy birthday, book guys. Just putting it That's out there. That's right. Hey. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, this is, I mean, we're all sort of getting together here, all kind of through No Agenda, because Molly Wood is like great friends with Adam Curry and, oh, his and wife, Mickey, Miss yeah. Mickey. Yeah, yeah. They're good buds. Yeah. So have you, uh, Tom, have you ever met either Adam or Miss Mickey? Yeah, I've, I've met Adam a couple of times. Uh, back when Mevio was right down the street from CNET, I uh, went down to do Cranky Geeks on a couple of occasions when they were, when they were okay, doing it down yeah, there. Yeah. And so they, yeah, are, got, they are Cranky got, Geeks, especially John. That's a show I miss, I got to tell you. That was a fun show. I know. I, I really was sad when that show went away. I love that show. It was worth it just to see just to see John's looks. You could almost oh. watch that. Just clips of him, not even talking. Just the looks he gives people. He is oh, something, yeah. man. With how he interacts with people, it's just a riot. 
No, I, I know. I know. Adam. Adam called us the second best podcast in the universe, kind of tongue in cheek, but we're we're gonna have a jingle made up for sure. <laughs> Nice. Oh yeah, it's a it's we're gonna make it official. And it's oh, it's always a pleasure to talk with. There it is. That's the one. Thanks, Jimmy. I'm assuming that was Jimmy that played that. No, that was me. Oh, that was you. Nice. <laughs> oh, you saved it. <laughs> oh, the, I've, I've been searching around for it the entire time here. Very nice. And Tom, do you do you, do you find your jingle there? Oh yeah, I've got I've got mine here. You, you gotta say you, go. you gotta email. Oh, yeah, and, and the funny thing was when uh, when uh, Jeff Smith sent us all the jingles. They were all done and complete. I said, you know what, Jeff? You know, some of them are more uh, depressing. Some of them are kind of whatever. The only hip happening one and happy one was Veronica Belma. I know he put some heart into that one. Yeah, that's, and, and deservedly so. Poor, poor Veronica broke her wrist playing tennis yesterday. Oh, tennis. that's not good. Not we good we actually uh, are behind a day on an Adam Christopher interview that we were supposed to post for Sword and Laser. Because she can't actually use a computer. Oh, is she is she eating vegan or something? Not getting any calcium? What's up? No, she just plays tennis hard. Yeah, I think that's how she does everything. Yeah, she does. She doesn't do anything halfway. You're right. Hey, uh, not to make this a uh, book guys and uh, you know uh, Tom Mayer, Joe Dishlave, uh, Sir Jimmy Fapfest. Well, we have to keep this interesting for our uh, listeners and talk about books. And since we have Tom on the line, I know you've. Uh, Probably sat down with uh, Daniel Suarez a couple of times. Yeah, I have, actually. What, uh, what, have you read Influx, the new novel? I have it. I'm looking at it right now. I have, like, you know, I've cracked the spine on it and paged through it, but I haven't had a chance to actually sat down and, and give it my time. That's one of the problems I'm, I know you guys know, is there's way men, too many books that you want yeah. to read, and you've got to find time for them all. But I really love the concept. I know we've chatted with uh, Jeff Gurner, another great guy. Uh, he's done video games. He's done, uh, uh, you know, he's an actor. He's done some wonderful audiobooks. Uh, and I know that he narrated. Sorry, Jeff. I got to apologize right now. I know you're a listener. I, I didn't listen to the audio. I did read the hardcover book. And Tom, you're right. It's how hard is it, Tom, to f- find time to sit down with a physical book nowadays? Yeah, thank. It's audiobooks that have saved my bacon because absolutely. It has- pretty much doubled my reading time uh i i ha- it's, it's funny actually i'm having a harder time getting through our book pick for this month uh which is richard keg morgan's altered carbon because i had it already on paperback yeah. and i'm like i really should just get it on audible but i already have it so i'm going to read it again i've read it once uh but i'm making much slower progress because audiobooks just let me kind of walk around i'm listening to right. on basilisk station right now actually uh, Tom, I'm going to say just from uh, like, I mean, I don't know you very well, but uh, I know you just from your, your podcast and whatever. Uh, and I know what you like and what you don't like. You're going to love this. Really? Oh, sit, I'm sure. I actually sit, have oh, loved everything Daniel's done. So yeah. I can't imagine I wouldn't. Uh, th- this is uh, far above and beyond what he's done. This is brilliant. Uh, brilliant book. Uh, it's kind of allegorical. I'm not going to spoil it, but it's fantastic. Yeah, if you're, if you're into tech... Uh, and you're into philosophy or yeah. policy or, you know, thinking about the future and what could happen. It seems like this would be right up your alley. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, anyone involved in tech. Uh, I mean, uh, Daniel, what was he? He was kind of like a IT guy. What did he do before? Uh, yeah, he was, a. I think, I want to say uh, a, a tech an analyst. Hold on a second, actually. 
I think I've got a bio sitting here. Yeah, you, you've got a memory like I do. I mean, uh, I'm thinking of like, uh, was it Asimov and uh, all these other guys? Uh, you know, the classic sci-fi guys who were actually involved in tech and had ideas that eventually spawned into real technology. Uh, Suarez is the same thing. He's, he's been involved. A former in- systems consultant to Fortune 1000 companies, says the book jacket. Right. Nice. So uh, he, he's got some background and, and you know, forward thinking. And this is a very, very forward-thinking book. Uh, fantastic. Recommend it. Uh, get it on audio. Jeff Gurner, as always, reads his books. And Jeff Gurner is a class act. Awesome. Sorry, I'm all over the place. Little technical issues here, folks. But we'll edit it all out. It never ah, happened. the magic of editing. Hey, uh, Tom, um, let me ask you, when I first got my, my first iPod and I found Buzz Out Loud and I found you and Veronica and Molly and all of my friends at, at CNET, I also discovered another podcast called Garden Fork with a guy who lives in New York and Connecticut and he tells you how to fix your truck, how to do gardening and all that. Have, have you ever come across Garden Fork? No, I haven't. Uh, is he still going? He's still going. Absolutely, yeah. He's a he's like a he has a company where he he does painting mostly uh, in Manhattan, and we're going to be having him on tonight. I just it was just something personal for me, you know. We have Craig Damlo, who's another guy that was on the book guys earlier tonight, and he did emergency broadcast podcast with us, and he had his own podcast going, um, the Singularity Podcast. He's he's got like a degree in physics, and I found him and. That's how we've all sort of found each other through all these podcasts. And, you know, I was just interested to see how your, you know, what your vision was of everybody, if you'd ever come across him. No, there's so many good things out there. Um, you know, and I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to meet a, a few, few cool people, but I haven't, uh, I haven't run across him before. Is he, is he gardenfork.tv? Cause that's what I'm looking at here. Oh, that yes. is him. Yes. And you know what, Tom? I'll have to check this out. Tom, Joe, if you guys stick around for another minute, we're going to play huh? a quick jingle. And we got Eric Rochow from Garden Fork coming up right next. Hey, Paul. This is Orson Scott Card. I thought I was the book guy. Now I find out you're the book guy. What am I? Oh, I guess I'm just the author of Ender's Game. Okay. Book guys. We're back with Sir Jimmy and, of course, the one and only Tom Merritt and Joe the Dish Slave. And we are joined by Eric Rochow from GardenFork.tv. How are you doing, Eric? I'm good, guys. How are you? It's awesome to have you on, Eric. Where, where do you find yourself uh, tonight? Are you in the city or the country? I'm in Brooklyn. Um, my wife just got home. She's walking the dogs, and uh, we're going to have some you know, organic local foods here. And wow. uh... <laughs> That's wonderful. Also known as the camera operator. Yeah, yeah, yeah the boss. <laughs> hey, well, well, thanks, Eric, because the last time we talked to uh, Survivor Man... Uh, Les Stroud, he was walking the dogs, and he was panting through the whole episode. It was, was kind of kinky, actually, really. Are you trudging through the <laughs> snow? No, it all melted here. Up, up at the house, you know, where we shoot the show, there's like a foot of snow still in the yard. So, All right, so uh, for the listeners at home, the constant readers, Eric, why don't we recap? What do you do? What is GardenFork.tv? 
I do cool stuff on the weekends, and I make videos about it, and I put them up on uh, iTunes and YouTube and on our website, which is GardenFork.tv. So it's like cooking and do a DIY and gardening, uh, some beekeeping thrown in there. It's very eclectic. It's like whatever, whatever I kind of want to do, I make a video about it and I stick it up there. So it's, it's a little hard to quantify. but Well, truck repair, boat yeah. manufacturing. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people have the aha moment. You know, they're, like, they're like, oh, you're doing what I do, but I don't make videos about it. And so, you know. There's will, something for everybody. If you, if you want to make a chocolate cake in five minutes, it's there. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The microwave chocolate cake, and then there's a slightly long. I'm on. A, I've been on a chocolate cake uh, uh, tear for a while here. So yeah. Oh, you better watch that. It's kind of funny. You when you guys asked me to be on, immediately in my head was that tagline, "Book guys." Yeah. <laughs> thank you again. Thank you, Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. <laughs> yeah, so, man, we'll we'll have to make an introduction because uh, thejeffsmith.com, the the best jingles. Taglines just <laughs> it will it will it will take your your Google rating through the roof. And and, and Sir Jimmy, our, our theme song sounds nothing like a combination of uh, you know the Batman, the old sixties no, Batman theme no. song, and uh, I think some that's Depeche Mode song. That's Not at all. Extremely coincidental. What a coincidence! Convergent evolution. <laughs> it is. You know. Are we going to talk about books? <laughs> we just oh, might. Yeah, you're doing a book. You've got a book. You know, Eric, uh, that's the first question we ask. What book are you writing or reading? Oh, I just finished an excellent book. It's called The Guide to Urban Moonshining How to Make and Drink Whiskey. Oh, hey. welcome to North Carolina. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know if you guys are aware, but in, in Brooklyn specifically, but all, all across the country, there's a lot of these kind of startups that are doing food-based businesses, you know, making our own sriracha sauces or yep. kimchi, you know. And these guys started, they're from Kentucky, and they moved to Brooklyn like everybody else. Um, and they had drank moonshine when they were teenagers, and they moved to New York, and they, they kind of wanted to make moonshine again. So they figured out how to make it, and then they've turned it into the first legal whiskey distillery in Brooklyn in like 80 years or something. I got to say, Eric, I don't know how moonshine production is legal in uh, Brooklyn because I know it's not legal in, uh, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada anyways. I mean, uh, my parents are Portuguese. Well, they are Portuguese. And uh, after making wine, they'll take the, the grape must, you know, after yep. the, the first pressing – and mm-hmm. they'll, they'll do a second pressing, and that'll be like run through the – it looks like a laboratory of stuff. And I, I remember my parents, uh, both my father and my Uncle Joe, would do it in their own homes. But they would always do it in the, in the you know, separate garage just in case it blew up. Yeah. So I, I can't even fathom how that would be legal in Brooklyn. No, well, distillation is not a crime. New York State got very smart. New York State saw the microbrewery boom take off. And, you know, there's Brooklyn Lager. I don't know if you ever heard of Brooklyn Lager, but it's a national brand now. It's done here in Brooklyn. Um, so they retooled their liquor distillation laws to allow micro distilleries in New York State with a couple of caveats. And one of them is the particular license that these guys applied for was to use grains grown in New York State. Okay. So it's a win-win. They get the excise tax from the uh, liquor sales 
And also, they get to uh, keep farmers in business in upstate New York. So they're growing corn in upstate New York, bringing it down to the distilleries along the Hudson, and they're making liquor. And they're keeping it local. So then, that, and people in New York, that's what they, you know, they want to support that. Yeah. So it's so the guy goes through the book and he talks about how they started out, and then in the back of the book they talk about how to make your own moonshine and then by extension whiskey, and it's not that hard. <laughs> I was it's like, really no, not. but you know, it's just like uh, you know uh, making a uh, BHT, you know, the marijuana distilled marijuana. It's like. Uh, it's not that hard, but if you make uh, one or two little mistakes, you could blow up your house. And that's kind of why it's illegal in – I think it's still illegal in Ontario. I could be wrong. Uh, I think the reason it's illegal is because they want to make sure it's regulated so that it's being produced right well, and people aren't doing it in, yeah. you know, in, in things that aren't sanitary because you can, you can really harm somebody. With, well, yeah, with if, if you're making you know, methanol, ethanol, you're, if you're doing the wrong kind of alcohol, you know, you'll, you'll you know, make someone blind. But – uh, other than the whole part of the actual end product, uh, I know that even my uncle would tell me, look, if you don't do this right, you're gonna, it's going to explode. You know, if you're making five gallons of this stuff out of you know, 10 barrels of, of uh, you know, uh, you, uh, second pressing grape must, it's an issue. And people have burned down their homes all across North America doing this. Oh, Eric, you tell them, that's the careful. Garden Fork way. You learn by, <laughs> by trying. Yeah, I have a flamethrower. What these guys do, though, is they have a it's – a, it's a amateur – it's a still they bought from Europe. It's, it's an eight-gallon still that you can get, um, and it's a steel still. And they use an induction burner to heat it. An induction burner – doesn't have an open flame. It doesn't have a heating coil. It just uses an induction okay. um, to make contact with the metal and create the heat. So there isn't any open flame to cause an explosion, which I thought was really cool. And the first distillate that comes off a still, you basically throw away. And you monitor the temperature um, and the specific gravity of the distillate. And that tells you when this first, I think it's called the head which has all the bad stuff in it, the poisonous stuff. And the rest of it is, is whiskeys that you can drink. Now, uh, Mr. Tom Merritt, I have to ask you, have you ever tried to actually produce your own uh, alcohol at any point? No, you know, a friend of mine got me a winemaking kit once, and I just have never had time to get around to it. I'd love to. Yeah, you know, I bought my own uh, beer-making kit once, but maybe seven years ago, and I, I produced what I like to call panthropis. <laughs> it, it was awful. And this is a term I learned from uh, my ex-boss. Uh, he's, he's since passed away. Uh, whenever he had a bad piece of alcohol, he said, this is panthropist. And I looked it up. There was an actual whiskey at one point, decades ago, called panthropist. And it actually said on the side of the label, uh, Sir Jimmy, here it is. We've made it through like two and a half hours. I'm going to make it explicit. It actually said on the, on the side of the bottle, a blend of shitty whiskeys. <laughs> so I, I always thought he was making this up in his own Definitely head. No one else would drink, throwing it right. in the bottle. So I actually did try to make brew my own beer once, and I must have done something wrong. Eric, it's the only reason I'm saying that you have to follow instructions to the T, or you're not going to end up with a you know, fine craft brewed beer. Oh, but don't, but don't be afraid to try it. Don't, let, no, don't be dissuaded. You. Okay, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, slave. No. Yeah, brewing, <laughs> brewing beer and wine is quite straightforward. And, and I mean, the whiskey thing, yeah, there's, a, there's another level to it, but it is accessible. You, you, know, you have to be careful. But I just thought it was pretty cool. It's called the Urban Guide to Moonshining. So it's a What's nice the name of the distillery? 
Uh, it's called Kings County Distillery. They're in the Brooklyn nice. Navy Yard. Now, Eric, you can find my uh, address at bookguys.ca under contact us. You can send me whatever you want. I'm just saying. Feel, feel free. Feel free. FedEx and UPS will deliver anything. <laughs> I'm actually not going to be able to uh, tap my sugar maples this year because I, I had my foot operated on, so I can't really walk anywhere right now. So I'm kind of bummed. I can't, I'm not out in the woods right now. So you're, you're not going to make it back out to the sugar shack this year? I'll make it out to my buddy's sugar shack, but my, uh, I was going to build a new evaporator a homemade one out of a metal filing cabinet. I got this idea from this podcast called Earth Eats in Indiana. And, uh, but I just had to have my foot worked on, and I thought I'd bounce back really quick, but I'm not. So uh, I'll go to my buddy's uh, place and you know, help them boil sap. But I, I like to, you know, I, I make about three, four gallons of maple syrup, and it's pretty cool to hand it to people because they realize how much work is involved with it. You know? So it's just give them a little jar of this brown gold, you know? Oh, yeah, that's an amazing gift. Absolutely. And you know what? I got a broad question here for everyone. I'll start with Tom, and then we'll go to Eric. Uh, Tom, what got you into podcasting? When, when was your first thought that I'm going to do this? Uh, well, it was, I was working at CNET in 2004, and I started reading about Daily Source Code and uh, Coverville and you know, all, the, all the, the people who were actually pioneering it at the time. And was like, we should, I, I want to do this. I want to hop on this. Uh, my friend James Kim, who worked at CNET at the time, and I had a conversation. He wanted to do the same thing. He wanted to do music podcasts, which was actually way back then, that was the dominant form. was like, oh, podcasts will be about music. It'll be like radio, you know, music right, radio. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I mentioned it. He mentioned it. We had this big confab there and decided to come up with a, you know, a, a kind of a talk podcast about technology, which ended up being Buzz Out Loud. But at the same time, I, was, I wanted to do something independent of that. And so my friend Roger Chang and I got together and we came up with our own podcast, which is similar to a lot of these out there that are, you know, heritage podcasts have been around for a long time. Yes, like Eats Meets West. I exactly. Just it's the one where making you just, sure you talked about Eats Meets West. You just kick back and you talk about whatever comes to mind and, and whatever you feel like. And they're honestly the most fun episodes I've ever had. Yeah, and you guys are down to where you're only doing like one a month or every month and a half, but I, I wait. That's actually where we started. We started just doing them when we felt like it. And then for a while, when podcasting got really big, we're like, well, we should, we should sell ads and we should get on a schedule and we should do them live. And then eventually we're like, it's not as fun. Let's just That's go right. back to doing yeah. them whenever we feel like. Yeah. People can tell when it's fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Joe the Dishley, I didn't forget you. You're still with us. Oh yeah, I'm still here. Uh, okay. The way that uh, your your I'm icon sorry, just popped coming to me. Your icon popped off Skype, so I just forgot you were there. Oh no, I just put it on <laughs> mute in case you know I uh, you know uh, made a noise in the background. Because, why why uh, did you start podcasting, sir? You know what? Honestly, the the way that I started is I was a big fan of Twit when it was, or uh, I shouldn't say Twit, um, a Tech TV, and I actually had come out a couple times to see. I saw one of the what I didn't know was Leo's uh, last episodes. We didn't know it at the time because it wasn't a public thing. And then when he went off and started doing what was originally the first couple twits were actually Revenge of the Screensavers. I saw the first live one that he did. Nice. And his big message was anyone can do this thing. It's easy. Get started. Do it. If you, if you feel that you can, go out and just talk. And all I did was buy a cheap Logitech mic. And I thought it was going to last three episodes and be dead, but it was just kind of a creative outlet. 
And the real magic for it was kind of similar to what, what Tom was talking about, was when my friend Lando, when I had him on, that was it. That was the formula. As soon as he was on, we kind of knew that was the only – and I've said – he said, oh, you could do it without me. No, there's no way that the core show could be done without Lando. I mean, that there's a chemistry you, you can get with certain people where you can talk about it. And, uh, and that's really where it took off. And, it, you know, it's one of those things I, I never expect to make a dime from it. We've never charged for it. I don't, couldn't imagine anybody paying anything for it. We look out. People actually do donate. But that has never been the goal. The goal has always been, you know, do something entertaining. And as long as somebody's listening, even if it's two people and that two people would be us, then we keep doing it, and we just keep going with it. And we've just been really fortunate. I mean, I'm nowhere near anything like Twitter or what Tom or, or Eric. You know, we're a very small time because I don't do any promotion. But people find us somehow. I don't really know how. I'm kind of amazed by uh, Absolutely. Same, in. same here, Joe. You know, uh, we do the Audible thing. We, we, at one point, we had like four different, you know, uh, sponsors and whatever. But Audible pays for our uh, bandwidth, and that's all we want. I mean, this has become a zero-sum game for us, and we're having a good time and, and doing what we do. And hey, if it you know if it works out one day, we end up on radio or whatever. That's fine. You know, Joe, I think you've got the one-hour show, and, and if if I read the description and it's something that interests me, I'll save that show and, and listen to it when I'm driving somewhere. But the five-minute, the daily five shows. Those there's five of them a week. I'll look at them like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't really care about Half Life. You know, you'll talk about you're watching a movie or you know, there's this video game that you started doing again. But then there's all these other things. So I mean, that takes a lot of dedication to to put a show out every single day, and that's what you do. That's you know, I I commend you on that. Well, you know, one other thing too, and I think we probably all of us in this group at least are familiar with this. Is I have to say, and I don't think. A lot of people, I mean, some people do, some people don't, but I have to credit, and I think you guys would probably agree, my wife, to put up with this thing, to let me do this <laughs> thing all the time, like to have your spouse allow you to do this type of thing all the time, uh, that's one of the things uh, that I think is, is uh, we should all be kind of thankful for, too, and I know that's kind of out of left field, but I was just thinking about the fact that I'm standing here, and my wife and I were going to eat dinner, and she's eating in the other room because I'm doing this thing, and it's like, we should really... <laughs> You know, be appreciative of that because that is a huge deal for all of us. And I think we're probably all in the same boat on that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I yes, took over absolutely. the whole downstairs. <laughs> yeah, my, my wife, wife just came back and I have to make her dinner. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and Eric, GardenFork.tv and I, we're all talking about, we all, we're following our passions. We're, uh, you know, uh, doing this out of a love for the things that we enjoy and, and doing our, you know, from our heart. Eric, uh, how did you start? Well, I started doing the, the video show a long time ago, um, mainly because I wanted to have my own cooking show on cable TV and no one would realize my genius. But the, the audio <laughs> podcast that's on iTunes, which is the Garden Fork Radio, um, I was actually uh, being a guest host for Martha Stewart Living Radio on Sirius XM. Nice. And I talked to the producer and I said, I really like this radio thing. I'd like to do more of it. And she said, so start an audio podcast for Garden Fork. And so Ooh. that's what I did. <laughs> so I, me and a yeah. friend, um, just uh, started talking, you know, with two microphones, and it's just become this kind of stream of conscious thing we do every week. Then, so you can thank Martha Stewart for Garden Fork Radio. And, and you know, I, I've uh, watched and listened to a bunch of your episodes, and uh, as an urban farmer like me, who's got about, you know, I would say 
12 square feet of uh, farm. <laughs> it helps. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah, you're up so far north. I have to grow all the hot peppers and mail them up to you, though. Your, your growing season isn't quite long enough. Hey, Jim, Jimmy, I'm in Toronto, Ontario. I've, uh, we've had about a foot of snow come down today. I have two feet of snow outside my shop just because of the wind, the way it blows between the buildings. And uh, I'm not sure how I'm getting home. I might need to make uh, snowshoes. I'm going to call Les Stroud and find out how I can, uh, you know, fashion some uh, makeshift snowshoes tonight. Well, if you, you know, if actually, you one, of our, one of our latest Garden Fork videos has had a snowshoe. <laughs> Fantastic. Timely. They're really, you know, if you buy them in the off-season, you know, they'll go on sale or buy them on eBay used. That's the way to get them. <laughs> oh, I saw some at a little shop downtown here in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. They, I don't know, they brought them in because they, they bought a bunch of sleds and they got a deal on them. They were like 50 bucks and they had a pair for $15. But I, I don't really think here that I'm not going to walk, a, a, you know, a mile and a half to the grocery store. So, you know, as cheap as you can make something, you've, you've got to have a... A need for it. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm just checking the screen. There's no lady, so I'm going to say, now, guys, uh, we have a lot of podcast listeners, a lot of people that are tech aficionados, and uh, mostly it's constant readers, but there's a lot of people out there that really want to get into podcasting. They're thinking about it and humming and hawing. Uh, Tom, how can you start as a podcaster? Start recording, man. It's the easiest thing in the world. Uh, even, and, and people are like, well, you need to get a good mic, and you need to do this, and those are, they're not wrong. But the biggest barrier you've got to podcasting is getting started. Yeah. So I would recommend to people, use whatever mic you've got around, even if it's just the one built into your oh, laptop yes. at the beginning. You can download Audacity for free. Uh, you can get Skype. Uh, and you can do something like Audio Hijack on a map or, or VoIP for recorder. Uh, or maybe even just get grab your uh, video card in Windows. Just start doing it. You can post them on archive.org yeah. and get a free blog from WordPress or Blogger. Use FeedBurner, which... It's kind of moribund. Google ignores it, but it still works. And that'll get you. You have a podcast. Then you can start getting better at it, yeah. start deciding, you know, how to tighten things up, get a better mic, get into all that. But my advice is just, you know, start doing it. Find that topic that fires you up to talk and start talking. Yeah. Uh, same thing that uh, Les Stroud said. He's a local Ontario boy. He's actually a Toronto boy. Uh, Survivor man. You see him on HBO and I don't know where he's on. And he, I don't know, I even know which channel he's on, uh, but he said content is king, and it's true. He didn't care what kind of camera he carried out into the wilderness. It didn't matter if it was only you know uh, 480p; it was still going to end up on the show. And the content was the the major thing. But now he has better cameras. Content is king, folks. You're right, Tom. Like uh, I have a little uh, portable. I don't know what's called H1, H2, whatever recorder. And yeah, the quality is crap, but I carried my pocket every day. And uh, I meet people and I talk to them and I pull it out and I press the record button. There's a whole hour podcast right there. It doesn't matter that the quality is, you know, not as good as if they came in the studio, but content is king. That's right. That, that moment's never going to happen again. And, and just like they talk about in Snow Crash, in the future, recording things is so cheap that just people who record things and upload them to the, the new library of Congress, somebody's going to search for it, somebody's going to want it, and yep. somebody's going to pay for it. Well, Jimmy, also the truth comes out because uh, in the 1960s and 70s, we had lots of UFO sightings when people had really crappy cameras and had to develop the film. And 
you know, UFO sightings are down like 75% since the iPhone came out. Yeah, man, the aliens are afraid <laughs> of the cameras. That's right. <laughs> now, well, they don't can, know how to strip the EXIF data out of their pictures so they can't really <laughs> fake it. Eric, as far as how you started, uh, any advice to uh, people who are passionate, not necessarily about gardening or whatever, but whatever their passion is, how can they get a podcast out there? I would sign up with Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. Oh, love them. Um, they make everything really easy, and they're very, uh, they're just, they're podcast lovers. And it's, it's, you know, it's like 10 or 15 bucks a month, but yep. they make it really easy for you to get your show on iTunes, which is the key thing. Um, and then, you know, you can escalate with them to, you know, they can, you can buy into their app, yep. you know, and all that kind of thing. But uh, from the starting point, and they also have their own podcast now about podcasting with Libsyn. Yes. Uh, which I listen to and I learn oh, a lot t- from. Oh, totally agree. We've used Lipson since uh, episode one of Book Guys Show, and uh, we pay a little bit more just because we, we put out uh, maybe a little bit more content and we did the video and whatever. But uh, there were months where I said, oh, there's a cheaper you know, host. I'll get them. But then we had a couple of months where we got to the tens of thousands of listeners, and I said, thank God we're an unlimited uh, host. Because otherwise, right, so you don't get nailed for those extra yeah, downloads. Yeah. We we didn't get that you know two thousand dollar bill that month, and uh, they're so flexible, you know. And, and you know, I'm I'm really surprised at this point that Apple hasn't hosted podcast content yet and not taken advantage of that yet. They're still just sort of a you know service that hosts uh, links to other people's content. I'm surprised Apple hasn't got into this. Yeah, I don't know. Um... You know, they, they, my understanding about Apple is they only do things that they know they can do really, really well and they can make a lot of money from. Yeah. And their podcast app should show you that they don't know much about podcasting because the way that thing works is horrific. Oh. <laughs> I mean, if I got to jump between two apps, it doesn't even feel like I'm an Apple anymore. <laughs> well, Joe, I got to tell you, the, the first uh, iOS version that came out and the, the podcast app wasn't um, a default app i thought well that's it podcast is done you know 90 percent of uh you know their their traffic uh podcast traffic is coming through freaking itunes and when i saw the podcast app disappear from the iphone i said oh my god we're done and you have to actually even itunes right now if you install a default itunes podcast is not even a default option you well, have to Apple. Didn't Apple kind of have a problem with podcasts early on because of the name? If I, I seem to remember, they were well. They not wanted exactly to protect the it. trademark on the name. Yeah, in the yeah, right, the pod part. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. you know, the, the first problem was uh, Tom. You can uh, help me out here, but Adam should have trade uh, uh, patented this a long time ago. Well, he didn't have to. There's plenty of, of prior art. <laughs> right. I mean, RSS attachment downloads. I mean, that, the reason he didn't patent it, I believe and you'd have to ask Adam to be sure, is that he figured this really wasn't novel. This was yeah. him saying, I'm going to take yeah. RSS and use it the way it's meant to be used, but I'm going to do a show on it. And maybe you're not allowed to patent ideas. And to me, that's an idea. It's a yeah. great idea. Yeah. But the way you make money off of it is through the content, right. not the procedure of it. And of course, there's tons of people out there. Right, you, you, you can. Uh, yes, yeah, uh, like they're going to patent the hyperlink. You, right. You can't do that. Well, basically, you, 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 can't, uh, you, can't duct yeah. tape, you can't duct tape two things together and, and patent it 
That's kind of the way historically it's worked. You can't oh, the spork. Yeah, you can't you can't patent a microwave <laughs> and a television duct taped together. Uh, Tom, Eric, I know you're busy, guys. I know you got to go, so we're gonna take another break. Thank you so much, Tom. Where can folks find all your stuff? I'm at tommerritt.com. Two R's, two T's. Uh, you can find a page there that has all the shows that I'm doing, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter if you can find me. It's Ace Detect, A C E D T E C T. It's ridiculous. What was what's the other the other thing the one you got going with East Meets West? You got there's like a different production company or something behind that. What was that one? Uh, huh? Is uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I thought. Oh, you I mean the website a, that East Meets West at, is at is subbrilliant.com. That's my old website from like back in the nineties. That's back the in one, the days. You know? back I'm, in the I'm days. nostalgic. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's all right. No, no. You just befuddled me when you said production company, which made That's it sound I so thought, much you know, nicer and cooler than it actually is. It's like Tom man. just said one of our so keywords, brilliant. befuddled. Now, Sir Jimmy, I know you, you don't have uh, the list that I do. I wrote down uh, 10 words. Befuddled is one of them. Tom, you just won a prize. Oh, oh wow. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to mail it to you. I had no idea. <laughs> Eric, sir, thank yes, you sir. so much. Thank you very much. Where can folks find... All your wonderful content. Oh, go to gardenfork.tv. Or if, if you just type in gardenfork in the search engine, it'll show up in the, in the top of the front page there. But it's gardenfork.tv, and there's all the videos. There's links to our iTunes podcast links uh, and our YouTube channel as well. So cool. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you for your time. Tom, Eric, thank you so much. We appreciate so much what you do. Joe, are you going to stick around? Actually, I got to jump out too. I'm sorry. Oh, geez. We're losing everyone, Jimmy. It's just going to be me and you, Jimmy. Oh, no, it's not. We have uh, Pat Fluelling on the line. Oh, we're ready to go. Uh, Joe, then since you're leaving, please, Joe, where can folks find your podcast? Our show is at OzoneNightmare.com. And I also, I have to say this because this was such a cool moment for me. Somebody, I don't know who, released CyberpunkRadio.com and I grabbed it instantly. Nice. I was like, oh, I <laughs> must have that. So uh, either one of those will work. And I just want to say, guys, this is, uh, you know, it's... I don't, I don't think I can say properly how cool it is for you guys to even consider having me on this thing. This is such a big deal for me. It's so cool for you guys to have hit 100 and to include me, on, uh, include me in this. And, uh, you know, I hope you guys do another 1,000. Uh, it's just awesome. Hey, hey Joe, s- stick around. You, you missed uh, the earlier part of the show. I did say that the next episode is going to be called Zero 101. Beautiful. So we're, we're aiming for 1,000. <laughs> Thank awesome. you. Thanks, well, thanks again. Thank you, Eric. All right, see you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Joe. Congratulations again, you guys. Oh, thank you, Tom. And you know what, Tom? Uh, you and Veronica, come back sometime. We'll talk about books. Sounds good. Hey, bring Roger. And Roger. Yeah, yeah I'll think about it. <laughs> uh, okay. Hi, this is Jeremy Bullock, Boba Fett from the first Star Wars trilogy. Come and read my book. Go online, jeremybullock.com, and you can see all about my book, Flying Solo. You've been listening to The Book Guys. Hey, Jimmy, before we introduce our next two guests, i got to play a little clip, uh, another uh, uh, voicemail from Greg, and he's talking about how uh, in the early days we used to talk about what we're drinking, and he does discuss uh, the one day he remembers in the first 10 episodes where we had a drink, a very special drink. Greg Ott. Greg Ott, and uh, Chris the book guy uh, brought in a very special drink. Paul, for your 100th anniversary or 100th episode, I thought that maybe I might call in and tell you 
one of my fondest memories of the first few Book Guys podcasts. I don't know if a lot of your listeners have been there since the first days, but I remember sitting down with you and Chris and talking, and I can't remember exactly what we were talking about. That's not the point. The point was Dark and Stormy Nights, the Jamaican ginger beer, and Chris with his Jamaican accent. Yeah, man. The amount of fun and laughing that you probably had to edit out of that was something to be really proud of. You are an amazing person, and I'm glad to call you my friend. I'm so very happy that you've managed to get 100 episodes, and please, do another 100, and I hope you do this for as long as it makes you happy. Congratulations, my friend. Now, uh, Jimmy, a darkest stormy night is. I know what it is. Oh, it's it's dark. As Two I, years ago, oh, I had a good friend of mine come to my birthday party at the house, and he brought me some dark rum and some real yep. ginger beer from oh, South yes. Carolina. Yeah, some some like you gotta get some Jamaican ginger beer. They're really like thirty oh, it's spicy. It, it, oh like, hurts God, your nose yeah, when you drink it. it's like thirty percent ginger. That's how. Yeah, oh gosh, it's like oh. illegal in Idaho. It, it stings the taste buds and uh, and the, the dark rum really it, it's got a kick to it. If you don't want to drink much in a night, drink dark and stormy nights because I think we had about one and a half that yeah, night. You can start with it or oh, finish with Lord. it, but you can't go all night with it. But that episode I believe is called Dark and Stormy Night, and we had a good time. It's it's got to be in the first ten episodes. Fantastic. We are joined by Ken. Is it Krieger or Kruger? It's Kruger in Minnesota. If you cross the river into Wisconsin, it becomes Krieger. <laughs> I say Kruger. Uh, Ken, uh, we had a blast with you last time you were on. Thank you for coming back. It's a pleasure. Thank uh, you for having me. Oh, yes. And you, and you are joined by the only Montreal Canadian, the only Habs fan <laughs> I'll allow on the show. Other than maybe, <laughs> you know what? I might allow George Trombolopis on. George, sorry. George Strombolopoulos on, maybe, but definitely. Pat Flewelling, how are you from CrimeWritersCanada.com? I am glad to be here. I just kind of wish I'd stayed home and not out in this wonderful, very stereotypical Montreal weather. Oh, no, listen, you're a Canadian. You have to be out in the winter wonderland, or, or we'd have to revoke your Canadian license and send you That's to true. Detroit or something. That's true. The only thing I forgot this morning was my plaid shirt. Yeah. <laughs> well, w- welcome aboard. Uh, we've had maybe 10 guests. You're our, like 11th and 12th. We're having a good time. Uh, we'll start with Pat. Ladies first, as they say. Pat, Thank you. the obliteration machine. Absolutely adored it. Read it. And you, we have to have you back on just to talk about that on, on an episode soon. And I hear oh, you. I am a- so glad to hear that. Oh, it was fun. It, you know what? Uh, interesting novel, a period piece. And, uh, you know, basically it was like a superhero Genesis novel. That's exactly it. And you know what? It's always supposed to be fun. But I also wanted to look a little bit more into uh, the villains behind it as well. I I find that a lot of superhero stories really never get into the meat of a supervillain. So uh, that's actually where I'm going with the second book, that little teaser in there coming out in June. 
<clears throat> I'm so glad I didn't get it wrong because I read the whole thing. I was like, this is a, it's a superhero. It's an origin, it's an origin story. And I go, maybe I got this wrong. I might have to read it again. No, no, no. It's definitely an origin story. Uh, it's got four plans, uh, one for every year. And I'm planning to, uh, to launch them every June in time with uh, fundraising for uh, literacy programs. We, we got to get you together with uh, Jim Zub. And uh, oh. he, he's got to write and, and, you know, have someone ink your, your comic book. Well, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we should probably uh, maybe give a little bit of an origin story why Jim and I know each other, too. Yeah. But right now, we'll keep it as a secret identity thing. <laughs> okay. And yeah. I, I did Just get to... Ask Professor Allen. Yeah. Any, any <laughs> origin story, that's the one yeah. you want. The first <laughs> appearance of Pat Fluellen. <laughs> but you know, Pat, you really got the period right. I've, I've read a lot of uh, books in the you know thirties, forties, fifties, and you really got yeah. you, you nailed the the time period. Uh, as I was reading your book, and, and obviously it was an audio book, but I, I heard the accents. You know, I heard that. Hey, see, yeah. you got a problem. See, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm spend, I've got at least at least. 800 hours of um, old-time radio plays that I listen to constantly. So the feel, the dialogue is always there in the back of my mind. But I've also done a lot of research for another series of books. And I just, I still had it fresh in my head. I, I just had a eureka moment. We got to get you together with uh, Gabrielle DeCure, Scott Brick, and uh, Scott Card, Orson Scott Card. And, and you guys got to do an audio book, a period piece. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. I would totally be up for that. I, I, I've got a face for radio. Scott, Scott Brick can do the, the voices for the period pieces. He did the, oh, I forgot the name of the, the, the book, but he did the uh, 40s Superman retro audio book, and he was brilliant oh, wow. at it. Oh, cool. <laughs> I know goosebumps. I like this idea a lot. But, but Pat, we'll definitely have you. But I know Pat's on her iPhone right now. And, you know, we might have some uh, audio artifacts going on, folks. It's not Skype's fault this time. <laughs> it's always me, I swear. And, uh, uh, Pat, we're, we are joined by Ken Krieger. Kruger, Krieger, Kruger, depending where you are. Now, Ken, what have you been doing since last we've spoken? What every writer does. I just write. Keep on <laughs> writing. Yeah, I've, uh, I've finished the next in my Cork O'Connor series. Um, I've started a, a companion novel to uh, Ordinary Grace, and I'm working on um, the, the first in an ebook series uh, called The Demon Hunters. So I'm pretty busy. Like I say, uh, Ken, when we spoke last, I, had, I was only like a quarter way through Ordinary Grace, and uh, it, it's one of those novels, and I, and I told you, you know, before we recorded that, I call it a snippet of life. It's a little slice of life. Um, just a wonderful you you're so descriptive you know it, it really gives you a you flesh out the story so well it's brilliant it's like the antithesis to like a an audio play where it's wonderful love it ordinary grace by uh the, he's uh, his title is william kent kruger check it out folks yeah it's uh for those of you who don't know it's been nominated for the edgar award for best novel of uh, 2014 uh, so I'm very, very happy with that. Fantastic. Congratulations. Well, thanks very much. 
And uh, so, Ken, uh, you know, your friend Stanley, what's going on with him? You know, he continues on with his uh, great series. Um, the last time I saw Stan, God, I can't remember the last time I saw Stan. Because, you know, he divides his time between the Twin Cities here in Minnesota and uh, South Africa. Uh, so, so I know he's just very busy writing. His series is doing very, very well. And uh, yeah, that's about it. What can I do? Oh, wait a minute. I see his, his icon just came up on the... Uh, oh, 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 Ken, I keep, I, I keep calling him. He's going to answer at some point, and we're going to... Live on the air, we're going to have him come on in. Okay. So he's just like all of us. He's very busy doing what we, you know, the way we pay the rent. He's writing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, hey, Kent, I, I see that you say your, your favorite books ever. You, and, and here's the point. You are the third guest on the 100th Book Guys episode that actually has their own Wikipedia page. Oh, my so, goodness gracious. This is new information. You say you're one of your big influences to kill a mockingbird. Have you seen the movie Capote? I have. Okay. I, I watched it, you know, after um after the death of the great actor and I pulled it up and I didn't realize very much like when I watched Walk the Line that Johnny Cash was a contemporary of Elvis and all these other people, but that Truman Capote and Harper Lee were you know, together and all this stuff, I knew them separately, but to find something that combines them and gives you a sense of time, it's, I thought that was interesting. So uh, w- why do you say that that is a, one of your big influences? Well, before I answer that, let me just say this. If you know uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, there's a character in there called Dill. I can't yes. remember Dill's last name. Uh, but he's kind of a wimpy kid uh, who hangs around with Jem and Scott and Scout in that story. And that kid, Dill, Truman Capote, whom Harper Lee had known since childhood. Um, so I knew about the connection, the Harper Lee and uh, Truman Capote connection from a very long time ago. But the thing that has always impressed me about Killing Mockingbird is, first of all, uh, the voice, the narrator's voice. It's, it's narrated by a scout, six-year-old scout. And it's one of the truest, uh, most compelling um, most innocent voices that you're going to find in American literature. It also, um, it's it, it set so firmly in a, in a time and a place. The sense of place, the setting itself is so profound and so important to the story. It transports um, you. Yeah, exactly. And for those of us who write profoundly out of a sense of place, it's, it's like that's what we look to. Uh, and finally, it uh, it just tackles a, a tremendous uh, moral issue, uh, racial prejudice in uh, in the South, the Depression era South, um, and I mean, it's got it all. That that woman wrote one book her entire life, and she did everything right. Yeah, it's it's a brilliant gift somebody gave her, uh, gave her the money to take a year off of work and said, "Write your novel." Yeah, and, and you know, I don't know if you know the story of To Kill a Mockingbird, but it, it began as a series of short stories, and her editor um, helped her uh, winnow that down to the to the story, this brilliant story that we see now that we all know as To Kill a Mockingbird. So she had a great deal of editorial help in that uh, in that effort. And Jimmy's right that uh, she was told, "Here's some money. Quit your job. Write a book." Yeah, don't we all wish that would happen to us? 
Oh, I no could kidding. so use a sugar daddy. <laughs> <laughs> hey. hey, now. <laughs> hey, Sir Jimmy. <laughs> I'm taking applications. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, in, in Canada, we do have the, you know, the Canadian government sometimes is the sugar daddy and will give grants to writers to, you know, here's $50,000, write a book. But you, know, you have to work for the it. States. I think the Canadian government really does a great job of supporting its arts. They do, actually, especially uh, at a municipal level. We've actually um, started looking into uh, a another literary event here hosted in Montreal. And Montreal is actually really big about supporting community events like that, especially when they generate and expose our culture. Yeah. Well, you know, Ken, it is common in Canada where uh, an author is, is picked out by, uh, you know, municipality and said, uh, told here, you do have a grant, $30,000 or 40. It's not much. I mean, you're not going to get rich. In fact, you might have been making more money than that at your job before that. But they'll tell you, here's as much money. You have one year. Write a book. We know you're talented. We've seen your short stories. We've seen your first novel. Please, write another one. Don't worry about food and water. And again, like I said, many of these authors are already well-employed. But they, they say, here, here's enough money to survive on for a year. Please write another book. Please. You know, that, that, yeah. makes, me, that makes me want to support the basic income. Imagine the creativity that would explode. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, well, sorry, sorry oh, yeah. uh, Kent and Pat, we were talking earlier in the show about uh, uh, advanced technology and influx by Daniel Suarez and other books with Tom Merritt and everyone. And we did say that, uh, you know, robo- robots are coming and uh, – for economies to survive and not collapse, there eventually will have to be a minimum income. Like on Star Trek, you know, like on the Enterprise, they get their, their food, they, you know, they, their food is free, but everyone has a minimum income. Just because at some point, uh, Kent, we have to have an income. Even though everything's automated, the economy must survive. Uh, but, uh, in, you know, before that happens... A lot of municipalities, not only in Canada, but in the United States, are giving grants to artists, and uh, a lot comes out from it. You know, whether it's Margaret Atwood writing a, a fantastic book because she could take six months off from her job and become what she is now, it really does help. Uh, supporting the arts is so important. Yeah, are you guys going to do that with Yarn? Sorry. Go. Uh, Go ahead, Pat. Go. Did they do that with uh, Yann Martel as well? And didn't he come out with uh, some funny little book called The Life of Pi? <laughs> I'm, I, you know, The Life of Pi, uh, I got to say, I hate when books are made into movies. Oh. I would agree with you in this particular case. Absolutely. I read My, the book. I watched the movie. I loved the book. I loved, I adored the book. But I could say that watching the movie, that was a masterpiece. Folks, if you have not watched The Life of... Oh, yes. You know what? The book is a thousand times better. But in this case... Oh, there you you, go. Yeah, she thought you were talking the other way. No, 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 no. The book is always better. I will never debate that. The book is always better, but... The visuals, however, in the movie were pretty astounding. Sure, but they had had such a high bar. Astounding. But I got to say, if you don't... If you've never read a book in your life and you want to watch a movie... The Life of Pi. Brilliant yeah. translation of a book. Uh, it was a book that the, the director, oh God, what's his name? The director was told it's Ang Lee. Ang Lee. 
the book is not a, you're, you, there's no way you can make it into a movie and he did it are you yeah, guys familiar like with the Orson Wal- Scott Card trying to make Ender's Game into a movie mm. the book is so much movie. better was it any good the movie was not as good as the live uh, the live Wait. action audiobook version sir Jimmy done. the movie I'm sorry was bollocks it was. I mean, you can't make that book into a uh, to an hour and fifty minute movie. It no. has to be a three hour. No. Movie. But, but no, no, I, I'm going to go beyond that. Yes, of course, all all books have to be made into a, you know they have to be shortened to two hours. You know, like uh, whether it's a Stephen King or it's a you know whoever, it doesn't matter. To Kill a Mockingbird, it all has to get con- condensed down to two hours. But now I'll say this. Wait a minute. To Kill a Mockingbird was, I thought, Pretty one good of the movie. best translations to the screen. Oh, yes. It was, it was well done. But you're, you have to think that to translate the screen, most uh, full-size novels need about 20 hours. And if you can condense down to two hours, you are a master storyteller as far as a scriptwriter and director. Yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird, to be honest, uh, they, it did win the Oscar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Great conversion, but really? <laughs> yeah, Hang on. Sure. Let, let's, let's go to Ender's Game, where the whole point is Ender is the runt of the litter. Oh, yeah, but this kid the in the only, movie's like 6'5". The only child smaller than him is Bean. And then we watch the movie, and Ender is the tallest guy in the room, which defeats the whole purpose of him being the you know, unexpected leader of uh, Earth's forces. Yeah, and the guy and the kid that's bullying him is like seven inches shorter than him. <laughs> yeah, that's horrible. It's horrible. Unbelievable. I, I, my mouth was open for half of that movie and not for good reasons. Uh, having just listened to Ender's Game Alive, the audio drama, uh, I can understand that Orson Scott Card uh, gave away his movie rights couple of decades ago and that's why this movie came out he, he knew it couldn't be done well you know if, if or if scott had uh, a choice just before this movie came out just before the you know the the movie got uh, green lighted he would have said no god no 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 if he had read the script or uh, scott card would have said no absolutely no now i know he you know he's being politically correct and you know doing what he does as an author had he had a red or green light uh, authorization on this, he would have said, no, burn the tapes. This is awful. You know, thank you, Harrison Ford. You played a good part, but burn the tapes. Yeah, hopefully it brings more people back to the, the dead tree versions or the, um, you know, the audiobook versions. Yeah, that's the only yeah, That's the only redeeming quality of this is that uh, it will bring people to the books and whatnot. Sure. You know, in truth, that's that's the final um, um, uh, issue here is the fact that it might be a bad movie, but it's going to bring people to the real thing. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, as an author, that's not going to be a bad thing. The book is still the, uh, what it always was. A movie didn't, um, it, it didn't detract from the quality of the book. Right. And it brings new readers to the book. Um, yeah. Life of Pi... I thought it was a brilliant movie. Again, it, it missed half of the points of the book. But at the same time, it really did touch on, on the major points. Uh, and it really does get people interested in the, in the actual novel. You know, and I've I got to tell you, honestly, I can't 
think of um, an author who's not you know, a huge major bestseller who would turn down um, a, a six or a seven figure deal <laughs> knowing that they're going to yeah. butcher his or her book. Yeah, yeah but, but Kenneth, uh, with, with this situation, uh, Orson, sorry, not Orson, he's going to kill me. Scott. Scott. <laughs> Scott signed away those movie rights decades ago. It was not a, a factor of, you know, this was a time when he didn't ha- hadn't sold. Millions That's of my point, you right? Know, he, he sold the rights when he went, but he know, was, he but uh, hang on, Ken. But he wasn't selling it for you know six figures, it was probably like three figures or four figures at most. Uh, so this was a long time ago, and, and you know, the publisher just kept it in their hip pocket. Uh, I think the Orson, with the success of his novels, had he been approached five years ago, ten years ago, and been shown this movie, he would have said, No, burn it. <laughs> yeah, that the book really had to wait for technology to catch up. Absolutely, yeah. And and they didn't wait long enough. Yeah. And, and it wasn't about technology, Jimmy. It was just no. I mean, I mean, technology to make the film. They the obviously the the director and the producer didn't read the book. No, mm-hmm. they didn't. You know, they read yeah, the screenplay. That's a long story. Everybody screws up every book with the movie, yeah. pretty much. Maximum Overdrive. Paul, Jimmy, Pat, I got to bow out on you. I've got someplace I got to go. That's all right. It was our great pleasure. Our great, great pleasure. Happy 100th episode. Thank you so much, Ken. Uh, Appreciate you. And we just called you out of the blue, folks. He's not not bowing out of an interview. We literally just (laughs) called him in the middle of a show. Yeah, I know. You got got to pull that. uh, Your your popcorn's ready. You got to... Gotta sit down. Thank Ken, Ken we'll, we'll we'll talk soon. Uh, get, get me on Twitter, Paul the Book Guy. We'll we'll get together with you and Stanley again soon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that you just popped in. Yeah, Ken, where, where where can we find your stuff? Um, in any uh, in any bookstore, oh. any bookstore, of course. Hey, you guys, live long and prosper. Thank Behind you. Thank you, sir. And Krieger, what a Kruger, what a great great guy. I love him. Pat, are you still with us? I am still with you. I've got uh, a bar of battery left on my iPhone, but I, I can't hang up on you guys. You're too interesting now. So you, your audio you, is just so, it's scorching hot now. I mean, this is what I, I always say. The technology in the, in the iPhone is so much better than the Mac. Because uh, you know what, Pat? You sound great right now. Where I don't know what you were on before. Oh, thank you. Pat, and we, we've been talking about <laughs> Dockside City and whatever. And the folks at home have no freaking idea what we're talking about. So let, let's, yeah. go, let's go back to the fog. Let's okay. go back to the first one, the origin story. Since the yeah. folks at home don't know what the hell we were talking about, tell us about your protagonist. Tell us about the story, the fog of Darkside City. Dockside, not dark side. Oh, you know. Hey, listen, Pat, it's, it's been a three-hour episode. <laughs> Doc, dark. That's a little punch drunk, I'm sure. Doc, dark, whatever you call it. <laughs> Doc, dark side. Well, if you search Fog of Dark Side City, you're never going to find it, especially if you try to spell my last name. You'll never get there. Listen, Pat, anyway. that, that could be your third novel, The Dark Side City. Oh, no, no, no. I think it's been done, actually. But uh, <laughs> this is actually a, a project that is 21 years in the making, believe it or not. Nice. So getting it, getting it published last year. It was it was the accomplishment of a lifetime dream. So I, I'm still geeking out about that. Uh, 
what started it off was misreading something on the back of an old vinyl copy of The Shadow. You're kidding. I'm not sure if you guys, oh, not at oh. all. Um, so radio sites, like I was saying earlier, have definitely been a big inspiration. And there's this one little incident where no one knew who the shadow was. It was played at the time by Orson Oh, Pat, now I have to ask you, Pat, just because you're in Montreal. Yeah. Yes. Were you listening to uh, Theater of the Mind? Yes, I was. Oh, I was, so uh, that, because you, you brought me back memories. Product. You brought back memories of me listening to Chum FM and Theater of the yes. Mind, The Shadow, The Green Lantern every night. Yes. Oh, I was in 7th Heaven. Because at the time, there was two radio stations that were playing it almost at the same time. So I would have back-to-back episodes of Theater of the Mind. Oh. So, yeah, that's, that's actually one of the reasons why I was able to continue listening to more of these radio plays and find out more different heroes that were in that day and time and more about the villains. So... But yeah, uh, one of the interesting things about it was with um, Orson Welles, when he was playing uh, The Shadow back in 1937, no one knew who he was. They, they never told right. the actors' names at the time. And I thought, wouldn't it be awesome if people were actually afraid of this guy named The Shadow and yeah. all of a sudden hear somebody behind you with The Shadow's voice? How much power could you have just with your voice? Could you actually stop crime with just your voice. And that got me thinking, you know, with all of the other superheroes that are out there, you actually have to punch something or use a force against them. What if you don't have any of that? What if the only thing you have is your wits? And yeah. that's kind of what started this, this idea of a man who can turn himself into fog. He can't turn anything else into fog. He can't go through walls or anything else like that. So how can he stop crime? And it's just grown from there. The Shadow. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? Shadow Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm a really good Googler. <laughs> I'm a good yeah, Googler. Episode. Going back to episode 28, um, I think we had, we had Nobot on. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember Nobot. And uh, Nobot is back. Like Joe the Dishlay was saying earlier, it's really important to have a spouse and your family supportive of you so that you can do this podcasting thing absolutely so they have been away tonight giving me the house and the quiet and uh but i had to bring nobot on just to just to say hello you know folks at home on the internet he was 11 years old the first time wow uh, and pat pat and folks at home don't know nobot is uh sir jimmy's uh, dna spawned robot child Yes, he, he was made in a laboratory on Eros, a moon of a planet on another uh, star system. Yeah, he is invulnerable to fire, water, wind. He is yeah. uh, pretty much uh, he's a robot child. And Nobot, are you joining us? Yeah, I am right here from the house. <laughs> now, no, Nobot, how old are you now? Thirteen. Thirteen. 
Yeah. Good if Lord. If you don't have children, who's going to take out the trash, right? Oh, you're not. That's right. <laughs> so mean. So, no, no, but we got to ask you, we asked everyone else tonight, uh, have you read any books lately? Divergent and Insurgent. Yeah. Nice. Divergent is actually going to be coming out as a movie pretty soon, so they're trying to stay ahead of that. March 21st, this next oh, week. coming up. Very nice. And I know about what are your favorite kinds of books? Mystery with a twist at parts. Now, now Sir Jimmy, uh, we got to give you one of these. Just because. If I can ask your child what kind of favorite books you like and, the, and he or she has an answer, you have succeeded right. as a parent. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we're doing something right. We're, yeah. we're encouraging that. Noba, do you know what outdoors is? Yeah, I was out there today. Friend fell. <laughs> if, you, if your child knows where outdoors is, you have succeeded once again as a parent. I don't know how to school, though. I mean, this kid, he has a skateboard that's only got two wheels. I mean, what, what's next? One wheel? That's insanity. Hoverboards are supposed to be up this year. Oh, I know. They got the shoes, but they don't have the board yet, right? Oh, come on. All right. Say goodnight, no boss. Say goodnight. All right. <laughs> say goodnight. And he's got a sense of humor. <laughs> no bot, uh, Sir Jimmy, when we, me and you are uh, too old to do this, yeah. it's going to be no bot. It's going to be the host. Oh, yeah, we, we, you know, it's a legacy. We got to keep this going. And probably by the year 4050, this podcast will be relevant because most people will be reading. Yeah, sure. That's our plan. Yeah, electricity will be too expensive. No, no, it'll be fusion generators in the middle of your kitchen. Like dishwasher, cold fusion generator, be fine. So, so Pat, uh, when, are, when, are the, when is the new book coming out? It, it, it doesn't have an official launch date yet, but it will be coming out in June. Uh, probably the first week, actually. Nice. And audiobooks. And, uh, are, are we looking at audiobooks yet? I so want to. I just need the resources. I need to know how to get started. No, no, Pat, I got to say, when I was listening to uh, The Fog of Dockside City. Thank you. Not listening. Listening in my head to what I was reading. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it almost reminded me of, uh, of reading Stephen King's, uh, 112263 cause you really immersed us a bit into the, the you know, the, the time period. And I have to ask yeah. you, what kind of research did you do? Cause I know, I know that King must've done a lot of research to really immerse me in that time period and, you know, give me that retro feel. Uh, did you just, uh, Google and then research the library or did you have, a you know, uh, an older person tell you about all this? Um, a little bit of everything, actually. Um, there's a lot of visual stuff that I look at. Like, look at a lot of different archives that are now on the Internet. There's a lot of beautiful yep. photographs of New York City back in the 1930s as well, 1930s and 1940s. Um, but also looking through uh, family, um, family albums. Yep. Uh, you can also find a lot of family albums now on Flickr as well if you want to be a bit of a stalker. Um, but movies as well, stock footage, oh, yes. uh, listening to those radio plays, watching the movies that they would have watched at that time in order to make sure that, you know, I'm not, if I'm going to put in a cultural reference that it's relevant to that time. Absolutely. And, but, and, sorry, go ahead. And, uh, 
during high school as well, I studied a lot of history, especially from uh, the interwar period. And I just fell in love with it. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I just pictured all the costumes and, and you yeah. know, the accents of the time. And it really felt genuine. So well done. Thank and, you. And uh, brilliant. Love oh, it. A tear. A tear in my oh. eye. The fog oh. of Dark Side. Oh, God. Totally. Dark Side City. Not, not like, I'm not, I'm not being British. It's not Dark Side. It's Dark, <laughs> D-O-C-K, Side City. And uh, I really that's think the, it's, it's an origin that's story. That's yeah. Like you yeah. see and the cruisers on the Dark <laughs> Side. <laughs> for, for you guys, you know, older than some of us. Now, Pat, can we have you back on soon? Oh, I sure hope so, because I want to get that second one out there, The Ghastly Bargain. Nice. Oh, I'm so looking forward to that one. You have no idea. So we'll have you back on soon. Sir Jimmy, hopefully we'll have you back on soon. Oh, yeah, I'll be back on, you know, at some point. But yeah, Now, now, now Jimmy, for, for reasons I can't say right now in the air, you might have to become the host of this show. <laughs> oh, I, I, I've... I, I just, that's my dream. Are you ready? Now, I, I still could join you every week or two. Sure. I, can, I can still produce the show, but just for reasons I can't say. Yeah, as often as we can have you on, I think uh, we'll, we'll be grateful. Very nice. We'll talk about it soon. Sure. As soon as I can legally say so. I don't know how to. <laughs> that's so interesting. How do you close the 100th episode? Well, uh, Maybe with the the closing music, we we do, and we got to say that next episode will not be one hundred and one. No. It's going to be zero one hundred and one. That's right. We won't make the same mistake that Newman made in Seinfeld. Uh, oh yes, Jimmy, I've millennium. done the calculations. If if we do an episode every week, and we uh, don't drink too much, stay healthy, we can make it to one thousand, and I hope that we all do. With that, thank you, folks, for joining us for the 100th episode of Book Guys Show. There will be hundreds more. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, all our guests. And we'll be back. Jeff Gurner, take us away. Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Book Guys Show will return next week. Same book time. Same book channel. Do, do. Thanks, folks. Ah, Paul the book guy.